Hello and welcome to the Y Debate. This week, myself and my colleague Callum Roy are discussing the courage to be disliked by two guys whose names I cannot say. <laughs> yes, it is the courage to be disliked by Ichiro Kashimi and Fumitake Koga, um, two Japanese guys who were uh, the students of Adler <clears throat> Adlerian psychology. Adlerian psychology by Adlerian Alfred psychology. Adler. Alfred Adler. Yeah. Um, so how did you find uh, reading this book this week? First initial. This is the first book I've only ever read once. Okay. Of all the ones we've done, I read it once. And the reason I only read it once is right at the beginning, it made me feel like ripping it to pieces and throwing it in the bin. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot to be learned from it. And specific, I think I already live like this. So reading it was like, it's just telling me all the shit I already do. And it just did my head into the point where I was like, I don't think I think about being disliked. I don't think I have a, what, what do you call it when somebody's got like an ego to the point where they're like, they want to be the cool guy. They want to be there. I'm just like, I don't really give a fuck. So I guess, but it's good. It's really is a good book. I've put in the final thought of what I think, who I think it'll be good for. But for mm -hmm. me, yeah, it was good. I think for the right people, for, for, for people who, Give it right. Let's say let's say you you you're walking down the street and you've got scruffy looking clothes on and you think shit. What are people thinking? They're looking at me. Or mm -hmm. let's say you are sat in work and you really dislike the person sat across from you and they talk to you and you think to yourself every single day, I wish they just fuck off. I don't like them. Instead of just saying I don't like you, stop speaking to me. Yeah, and then let's not talk and we just it's, let's pretend we're in different offices. Type of attitude. If you're that type of person that sits there and let things get to you, I feel like this is power. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, I can. I, I could definitely, definitely agree with that. Yeah, um, I, I thought that the, uh, the the book for the. I mean, I recommend the book in general, but uh, just as a uh, sort of explanation of kind of what the book, how how it's formatted, because it is a little bit interested the formatting of the book. Uh, interesting, sorry. It is uh, basically it's discussion. It's like a discussion or discourse based. Um, writing is written in that style so you have like a student and a master basically who are given the names youth and philosopher in this in this book and so the whole book is based off a conversation at the start i completely agree with you i was like man this is going to be tough to get through um especially because on the audio version it uh says youth and philosopher before they speak rather than just using a slightly different voice <laughs> it, it decides it has to tell you like who's gonna speak um it doesn't do that the whole way through some chapters it didn't do it so that kind of helped but um there's a reason behind this a method to this to to the uh, discourse based sort of way that it's written and um i believe that that is because the writers of the book um these two japanese fellas they met in this kind of way um it was kashimi who was a um the translator of alfred adler the father of adlerian psychology um so oh, there's three the psychologists ah uh, yeah so Jung, there's what's the one that everybody knows freud freud and adler that not many people know about but they were yes. like the three firing founders of these psychology. yeah they call them like the three giants of psychology um yeah. which i again i'm a big i i I'm quite interested in Freudian psychology and Jungian psychology, definitely. Um, but I'd never heard of Adler before. So this was 
pretty insightful. Um, and there's probably a reason why I haven't heard of Adler, which is why is which is because I think he did most of his teaching in this discourse-based kind of Socratic way, which is where he would uh, have conversations with his students and they would um, they would write about him, but he wouldn't necessarily put the writings out himself. What was the um, guy called from ancient Rome? I think it was that that. Uh, I think Socrates wrote all his stuff, but he was the guy who used to stand in the market and talk shit all the time. Or am I... well, so yeah, so Socrates would um, is ancient Greek, and he would he did his teachings like this, and Plato wrote it all down. Plato wrote it all down. I thought it was the other way around, yeah. but yeah, that, that, that's the same. Situation. I'm pretty sure it's that way around. It's a similar situation with this Adler guy in it. He's been forgotten to history because yeah. he didn't put it on paper and uh, make it as much. Yeah. Yeah, and and these guys they actually met in the same way that the writers actually met in the same way that um that the the youth and the philosopher meet in this book. One, uh, Kashimi is the kind of like the the go to on Adlerian psychology in Japan. Uh, he's translated all of his works into Japanese, and then you have um, Koga, who was um, a young man who was interested, kind of fell in love with Adlerian psychology and started to meet up with Kashimi and ask him all of these questions uh, to try and figure out. Um, get to the bottom of the psychology um so should we give a, a brief little I, I my next note is before we jump onto the notes <laughs> love it just all right so we don't have to edit the video then we can just push it out can't we can yeah we? get it out there save me a job <laughs> yeah yeah we'll right. somebody to do that for you next so uh, uh, that's true <laughs> that'll be gone uh yeah go fire away mate all right so uh, my first note that I thought was important to put in here because it is very fundamental to the understanding of the book that the two writers kind of just disappear into the story and they they obviously their voices are the voices in the story but they're not it's not sometimes they directly quote Adler it's not really their kind of it's more like their interpretation you need to read their... the question out for the podcast audience uh, I will yeah so the the uh, so my first note is what is Adlerian psychology, because um, it's very fundamental to know for the book. I think. Um, what, how would you describe it? Um, so, it it kind of views people as like individuals who are they are driven by this sense of community, and um, it also kind of. Adler, where Freud is more sort of uh, talks about like behavior and like our unresolved conflicts from childhood, Adler is more about you have the power to develop yourself rather than you are developed by things that happened in your past. So see, that's my opinion. It, it allows self-conscious people. You, you see, when you throw these questions, you throw these questions at me sometimes and I don't <clears> have time to think about them. I've just had a chance to think about it whilst you was chatting. And I think... Adlerian psychology enables self-conscious people to live happy and free. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah, I think that's what the whole thing does. I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah, which, I, I which think the that... principles from the book resonated the most with you. Um, that resonated the most with me personally. Yeah, because there were a few that I I read in this that I was I was like, oh my god, this would change some of my friends' lives, but because I had a similar thing to you at certain points of the book where I was like, okay, I've already kind of reached this conclusion luckily on my own. But if I read this when I was like 23, it would have changed my life. Um, but instead I had to sort of like struggle through it myself. 
uh, the things that stood out for me probably, I think a lot of it was sort of like the, the separation of tasks was probably the biggest one for me that we'll probably talk about later and how it, um, Adler has these things called tasks. I mean, they can be work, relationships, friendships, romantic love relationships and stuff like that. Uh, he calls them all tasks and everyone has their own individual tasks. And um, they're the only things that we should be concerning ourselves with and not the tasks of others. So a task of another person would be their opinion of you, for example, which um, I thought was really freeing when I when he was talking about that. And I hadn't thought about it in terms of like tasks. I know I'd thought about it in like, mind your own business, <laughs> you know, but that's not, it's not quite the same. It is, it is slightly different. And um, yeah, that was probably the biggest one for me because I think in the, in the past, I have been known to be a little bit concerned with what other people think about me. I think everyone is, so I don't feel bad about it. I yeah, think it's a natural, I think it's a natural state, especially like you said, when you're growing up, when you're younger and you don't really become your true self. I know it's speaking from a point of, I'm sure people who are older than me are like, Haha, you're a, you have no idea yet, which is great. I'm glad I don't, but like, you don't really become like your true you feel comfortable in your own skin until a lot later in life than you think you would. I think it's because we put like arbitrary like figures on when we should become an adult, for example, or when you become a man, you will feel more comfortable, comfortable and confident and all of these things. But actually it takes a, a lot longer than that, or, or it takes a lot less time than you'd think because of things that happen before that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think we're always self-conscious, but I, I feel, I mean, you've, you've heard the saying, a grumpy old man, aren't you? Yeah. Ah, uh, he's just a grumpy old man. And th those guys are just dicks for the sake of being dicks. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm just going to be a dick with everyone because I don't give a shit what anyone thinks. And I want to be an asshole on purpose because they've lived through all these experiences and, and, and you get to the point where you start out and you're like dead excited and the world's great and you're looking forward to things and everything's going to happen in life. And then by the time you get into your, your 70s and your 80s and, 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 and you're, you're knocking on death's door, you're like, what a load of bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually thinking guys. about I was actually thinking about that recently. Like, I'm lucky that I don't really have, like in my family, my grandparents are quite uh, positive people, which is good. It's good to have like some yep. some older people that aren't like super jaded by life. I think it's good. Um, but my grand, my my one of my grandfathers, he, uh, my grandmother died in the last like few years, and she caught a um, well, she didn't caught catch it. She always had it. It was a genetic disease called um, MND, motor neuron disease. So like she slowly stopped being able to use her uh, her body, like uh, her. She first got it in her thumb. She thought she'd broken uh. her. Yeah, she fell out of the front door when she was leaving one day. She Wait. was like 68 or something. Uh, go on, mate. Wait, what What? What? What was the thing with, with her? F so she, she thought she broke it? Yeah, so basically she f she fell out of her front door and she thought that she'd broken her thumb. Well, she had broken her thumb. So she was like, oh, man, I broke my thumb. Her hand was in a cast for like six weeks or however long they're in a cast. And when they took it off, she was like, oh, I, I still can't really move my thumb. I don't really have any motion in my thumb. And um, that stayed that way for like maybe a year where she was like, I don't have any motion in my thumb at all. Like it's never come back. So they were doing like nerve damage um, studies on her to see if she'd like done any nerve damage. And then basically one morning she woke up and she couldn't feel her other thumb. 
And she was like, oh. So they did a brain scan on her and they found out that she had this uh, motor neuron disease. What um, were the other symptoms? So the, the symptoms were just basically that she had started falling over a little. She was getting clumsy yeah. and um, she'd started losing um, the feeling. Sorry, I'm writing and, down as you're telling me. Sure. Um, she started losing the feeling and sort of control of, of parts of her body. Um, for her, it started in her hands, but for other people, it can start in other places. Some people, it starts in their like chest or something like that, and they die within like a few weeks because they just can't breathe anymore. Um, okay, which is pretty okay. pretty crazy. But then other people, it, it goes, uh, it can go for their face, and they can lose the ability to talk. Uh, I believe Stephen Hawking had this. Um, he had a really slow acting one, which meant. Um, there's different versions and there was like a slow acting version that you can live with for many many years and it just like gradually builds up but you start off with pain in in, in something and you can you lose the ability to use it is that is that usually um, what happens? i don't know if there's actually any pain but it just basically is like the 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 brain's connection to that particular muscle starts to just basically deteriorate and then okay. the muscle itself will atrophy and like basically shrivel up and disappear um, um so you panicked me when you said someone's there that I know somebody personally that, that has got this problem coming on at the minute, and I was thinking, fuck. But right. if there's no pain involved with it, then maybe. Because when you said about the broken thumb, I thought, and, and mm. anyway, it's me well, panicking. I mean, it, I mean, like, honestly, there's probably no harm in getting checked out with this kind of stuff because it is, you know, it's one of those things, it's genetic and it can lie dormant. It was in my nan for her whole, her whole life. Um, so she could have got it when she was seven years old. She could have got it when she was 45, but actually she got it when she was. Can you catch was, it? You can't catch it. No, it's genetic. It's, it's, um, passed on. All right. So it just develops. So I, I might have it, but, um, okay. So you won't find out until you're older. No, no. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure, but, uh, basically my, my granddad became her full-time carer in the, in like the, her version was quite fast acting. It, sort of middling where she had it for about you know six months to a year where she was it was like quite minor and she didn't really know what it was and then when they found out what it what it was they gave her two years to live um and yeah shit. And started... i didn't even know it existed that's like that's as bad as cancer isn't it? can it even cure this shit no there's no cure no so you get it you're fucked yeah yeah you're done wow. We yeah. can do all sorts of stupid shit we can get to the moon and we can do all that bullshit that's really completely fucking irrelevant but we can't fix these mad little diseases yeah yeah that's what i mean like last week we were talking about um zero to one weren't we like things that have gone from like in in technology or whatever that has gone from nothing to something and it is like an amazing discovery and i think mapping the human genome is one of the things that like has really gone zero to one in like our lifetimes like people have discovered like the human genome and we can look into dna and you know, people are now realistically people. we can get rid of things like Down syndrome from our gene pool because we'll be able to like get rid of the gene that passes it on. Um, but people are more interested in gadgets and cool things and things that's outside of the body that they can see. Like, um, especially in the UK, because in the UK a lot of people get what's called national health, right? And basically, what mm -hmm. it is, is everybody gets free healthcare and free thingies. So, like, if I have a problem, I'm 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 happy that if if if, if I have a problem and it's like I need surgery, I'm gonna pay. 10 20 30 grand whatever it is it's like boom get me in as fast as you can if i haven't got the cover for it i'll go and pay for it straight away way more than i would spend 30 grand on a bmw or or on 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 a new car or something like that and yet when um when when, when a lot of people in the uk need surgery like, oh, i've got to wait two years for it 
And it's like, yeah. so why don't you sell your fucking car because it's just a piece of shit that's outside that does nothing and pay for the surgery out your own pocket and get it done next week. And people are like, oh, no, 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 I'll, I'll just wait. And it like it always confuses the shit out of me because I'm like, you get one body, you live inside it. If this gets fucked, you're fucked completely. Yeah. It's like, I think there's a saying in the book. He, sa- he says it in the book somewhere. He says, um, if you don't look after, bo- after your body, then where are you going to live? <laughs> yeah. Health <laughs> is like, wealth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So true. It's, like, what, it's so true. It's like, where are you going to live? I'm, you don't realize till you get older and you start getting shit wrong with you that all of a sudden it's like, okay, that actually is something I've got to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And I mean, my, like my granddad ended up caring for my nan as it, as it like started to go through it. But I mean, it's not nice, man. It's not a nice thing to see, especially when it's happening to someone that you love. Um, but, yeah, and it basically um, slowly like took away her bodily functions, and she uh, was eventually just a wheelchair-bound sort of like real skinny, wizened lady, and her voice changed because it kind of like was affecting affecting her voice. And um, but she was tough as hell. Like she, her, her like reaction to it always was like, "It is what it is." Like, and don't get me wrong, like she did. It was mama must have been freaking horrible for her, man. <laughs> like the pain of it, and like not being able to control anything and having to have someone do everything for you must have been like horrific but her response to it the whole time is just it is what it is you know we can't change it happened to me so we just have to like do the best that we can with it and she said that she didn't want anyone to bring any attention to it like she didn't want people to be like you know like she'd bring it up and be like oh you know it's um it's good today or it's bad today or i can't hold my coffee cup and it's pissing me off like she'd bring that stuff up but she didn't want us to be like you know, oh no, we don't have much long left with you. You know, and like, um, yeah. Uh, but basically, she ended up passing away, and obviously very tragic. And my granddad had to deal with that. And then, like last week, he went to visit his best friend, and as he was leaving, his best friend was like, um, just gave him a hug, like randomly. And these are two like seventy-year-old men; they don't like hug a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was like, um. He was like, oh, it was really great seeing you and I'll see you soon. They left and it's like, it's weird. We hugged each other. It's really strange. And then yeah, literally like he had a random heart attack in the middle of the night. And he died. So my granddad has lost like his, his life partner and his best friend in like the space of a few, uh, like a space of like two years. And, you know, if that happened to someone my age, you'd be like, damn, that's like, that's heavy. I mean, Isaac, even if that happened to you, know, I've lost a ton, a ton of friends in my twenties, then more in the thirties. But, 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 like, no, sorry, a few friends in my twenties. When I was in my twenties, my best mate died. He's called Cameron Hawkins, um, and then in in your thirties, I think you, you you lose a few additional, and then as you start to get into your forties and your fifties, people start dropping off left, right, and center, and it's just it's getting old, isn't it? Yeah, and that, that's 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 the thing, right? It's just getting old, isn't it? It's like it's so hard that. You go through all of the, you know, you raise a family, you you contribute to society all the time, and then you get to that age. And then when you kind of can relax and stop working and, you know, all of these things, and then you know, everyone you love starts yeah, but to... Society's built, right, around that they don't let you stop working until you're physically in a situation where you probably can't work well anyway. So yeah. it's designed around, okay, we're going to take all of your healthy years and then... When, yeah. when, when we finish taking all your healthy years, you can you can fuck off and die. We don't care. And that's kind of yeah. how society's built, isn't it? It's built on, right, what are their productive years? Right, let's put them to work for as long as possible. In a world full of sheep, fuck you, I'm an entrepreneur. Great book about this subject. Absolutely. <laughs> Shameless plug there. Shameless plug. Um, yeah, and I, I just, 
I think this book has an interesting way of, because you could easily look at that and be like, well, no wonder everyone's like angry and jaded and when they get older and they're pissed off and grumpy old men and stuff. And I can understand like you, anyone could understand why you'd be pissed off at, you know, you've given your best years to something, seen nothing for it. And now everyone you love is starting to die. Like you'd be, you'd... I think it's mainly pain. I think people get grumpy when they're old because of pain. I mean, as, as, as you're getting older uh, and, and anybody who's in the, in the forties plus listening to this will, will, would probably agree with me that as you're getting older, you wake up with different pains every single day. Uh, not and in different parts of your body, and and I mean pains that last months and months and months. Like you only have to, but like when I was younger, and 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 and, and I used to do MMA and stuff like that. I'd, I'd I'd bang my knee up, and and three or four weeks later, I'd be back in training, and I'd work through the little bit of pain that I had left. And then as I started working through it, it just fixed itself. But then as you get older, if I bang my knee up now, I'll probably be limping for six months, a year. Um, with the same injury that w- would have been gone within three or four weeks. So I guess as you get older, you just got to be a little bit more careful, but you get grumpy because nearly everybody I speak to, especially women, women seem to get a real raw deal when it comes to um, uh, like being in pain. Everything like, really, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel that, that, that most women get get like worse than the men are, are in pain with, with, I don't think there's a woman in my life that I know of other than my missus's mother. Oh no, she has back pain all the time. But mm. um, I don't think I know any women actually that don't have pain, regular pain. Like it comes up once a month or twice a month or, and, and it's, it's, it's like, what the fuck man? It's like, and as you get older, those things don't get better. They get worse. So mm-hmm. you do become a cynic. Like why am I always in pain? I hate the people. I hate these young people that run around fit and healthy, wasting it, getting drunk all the time, taking drugs. But it's like, they were doing the same thing when they were that age. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that's like the best way of that's kind of how the book would say you should look at it. That's like Adler in psychology in a, in a nutshell, really. It's like you should you shouldn't look at, at that as if like, you know, I should be mad about it. You could you should kind of look at it in a in terms of like almost celebrating it like, wow, now they're on that journey as well. Isn't that beautiful? Like, isn't that isn't isn't like the cycle of all of this just really nice? Like we it's all about or is it, or is it pointless? that's why you should do what you want to do every day because it's fucking pointless at the end of the day once you're dead you're dead and even if you think right i'm contributing to society and doing all these amazing things let's say you look throughout history let's say there's 500 people throughout history that have actually made a a long-term difference yeah because even Mm -hmm. people like alexander the great and people like that did they make a long-term difference was it positive or negative does it matter if he took over all them places and changed the world or does it not matter and would it have been a better place if he had not done that or like people who even, yeah. even people that have changed yeah, history, no. good or, has Hitler made a negative or a positive uh, difference in, in the future? We don't know, but potentially it, what he did may have been positive for nowadays, or it might have been negative for nowadays. You can't, I know you can look at it and only look at the situation and say millions of people were murdered and it was fucking disgusting. And it was, but did it affect the future in a negative or a positive way? Or did it not make any right. difference whatsoever? And would we all just be in the exact same position had it not happened? Only we yeah. wouldn't have something that bad that we can talk about. And then when you look at it like that and you look at life like that and you look at all the situations, then you kind of realize that actually, if you're not doing what you enjoy every single day, then there's no fucking point. And even if you are doing what you enjoy every day, there's still no point. There is just no point. It's like there is, and I know people might see this as a depressing thing. I see this as a freedom. Yeah. Do whatever I want, whenever I want, as a person who like just doesn't give a flying fuck. Because what difference does it make five hundred years from now 
nobody will know I existed. Nobody will know you existed. Nobody will know probably everybody listening to this existed. And if they do know, it's because you either went out and became a really bad serial killer, <laughs> right? Which is yeah. a negative thing. Or you went out and you did something like what Jeff Bezos has done and trans- or, or Elon Musk and transformed the future of, of the world in, 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 in a really profound way. Other than that, like the other... Yeah, but like, even then, will we? Like, will we? Like, I mean, the ma- they say that yeah. like the 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 richest man in history um, is Mansa Mu- is it Mansa Musa. He's like this uh, this African guy had like a trade empire like many years ago, and with inflation and like the whole wealth of the world put into account, he is technically the richest man that's ever lived. Um, I believe that's him, Mansa Musa. He was like a king, but that's like you don't even know who he is. <laughs> Not. Not a clue. Right? Nobody name. does. Nobody does. And I mean, you could you could argue that that's because you know he's uh, he's an African guy, and that doesn't you know in the in Europe maybe that's not something that's that important to us. So we don't remember him. Say what you want. I think it's just because everyone gets forgotten to history. And um, the, I was listening to a podcast recently, and they said like the best thing about having a podcast that nobody listens to is that you've got a podcast that nobody listens to. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And like by doing that, you'll end up, the freedom of that will make people listen or it will, you know, it it gives you, you don't have to worry about it because who cares? Rather than sitting there and being like, oh my God. My reason for wanting to do this podcast is I I like to educate myself on all different types of stuff. Now, if I had to pick this book up, right? Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, that's why we, we, we probably have got completely different interests, but that's what, what makes it so good for me because I wouldn't, if I would have picked this book up, I'd have read the first page and I'd have thrown it in the bin, right? That is, that is an mm-hmm. honest truth. But I read the whole thing because I had to, and I learned quite a bit from it. I've yeah. that's, that's pretty useful, um, pretty which useful. I never would have. So well, I guess, yeah, but yeah, should we carry on with the notes? Let's carry on. With the we're going to try and keep it down to an hour, and we've done one note, and and we're already twenty six <laughs> minutes in. Go on. All right, I'll let, I'll let you. So the first note I've got on the book was probably like the main clickbaity uh, part of the book that tries to get you know. It, it, I can see that this would really piss people off, and it is trauma. Uh, trauma does not exist. My note is: Does trauma really exist? Because uh, I'm not sure if I buy it 100%. Um, with a lot of these things, I don't really buy it 100%, but I can see why, if you take it on board, it can. these kind of ideas can join the ideas that you've already got in your head and create like a more, uh, like a more comprehensive view of the world, which is good. But he says in the book that trauma does not exist. What do you think about that? Do you agree? I don't think there's any good or bad. I don't think there's any positive or negative i think there's just situations and outcomes i think he's right i think i think we think it's trauma because we build it up in our own brain as something that we need to worry and stress and 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 think about but realistic it's like let's say if i go back five years right i was a completely different person let's go back 10 years Mm -hmm. 10 years ago i was a completely different person and i would have got a lot stressed about things and i would have worried about things i would have lost sleep over things and i don't even know what them things were or ah, they don't. They didn't matter. They don't matter. So yeah. I guess trauma only exists if you allow it to exist internally. I guess, but I guess there is trauma. Like you're fucking at a brick wall in a car, then that's trauma. But it's a different type. But actual mental in, in, internal trauma, 
I guess you can teach yourself to switch it off. Don't get me wrong. If somebody I love died, I'd be fucking heartbroken. If one of my kids went, I'd, 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 I don't know what I'd do. But other than that, I feel like maybe, maybe he's, maybe he's, he's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like, I do think our past, I do think our past, like things that happen to us in our past do shape us. Um, and I think that that's because that is unnatural. I think uh, this book talks a lot more about nurture than it does nature, like the way that we're sort of brought up and raised and stuff like that. And, and you and are I shaped think, by your history, aren't you? you? You are. And I think that is the natural state of things. It's almost like the feeling inferior and anxious, for example, are natural states that everybody feels. It doesn't necessarily mean you have like a, a complex. It just means that like by, by nature, people are a little bit, you know, it's just in us. It's just what we, that's just how we feel. And it is through like training and mentally training ourselves that we can get out of that. And uh, so I believe that being shaped by your past is a natural thing that can, that happens because we learn from things. We like, we're like, uh, just like dogs, you know, <laughs> if you give a dog a treat every time it does something, um, it, it will keep doing it to try and get more treats. We do exactly the same thing. That's just how we he work. Said, in fact, the same thing is in the book. Um, I think it's influence. I could be wrong. It might be one of the other uh, psychology like like likes persuasion books. Um, but people say well, we're in we're in a reward based society where people yeah. do things not necessarily because they want to do them, but because they want to be praised for doing them. And actually praising people for doing things means they actually do things they otherwise wouldn't, meaning they're not happy, but they're only doing it to receive praise from you or the other. And actually giving too much praise to an individual can actually, they, they did a test actually, and I can't remember the exact details of it, but the, the, the test based around was they uh, they got uh, they got a, a, they did a study where they brought people in and they said right yeah I want you to draw this this such and such picture I think it was I'm sure it was to do with drawing I was to do something like that create this yeah. artistic thing that you, you you'd be proud of and then they brought these other people in and they said we we're going to pay you to do the same task so they had a room full of people that were paying and a room full of people that were doing it not being paid for doing it but it's like just create something you'd be proud of and that's like create something you'd be proud of and we'll pay you for doing it and then they, then they brought them back weeks later. And they, they got the same people, brought them in. And, and the people that hadn't been paid were like, yeah, they were dead happy about doing it. And they wanted to do it. And they was excited because it's like, I enjoy drawing or I enjoy whatever this thing was. I can't remember exactly what it was. The people that they paid, they said, mm -hmm. we, we're bringing you back, but we need to do it for free. Ah. And most of them said, no, I'm not going to do it. We're not right. paid. And it shows that that reward, that reward-based reward -based society is not always... If you get if you pay somebody for doing something, like it's like your kids, you pay your kids for fucking cleaning the bedroom, then they're never gonna want to do it unless they're getting paid for doing it. And mm. you're in a situation where it's like you need to teach your kids to have the respect in the in in the environment that they they're building around them because do you want to be the little tramp? And and I guess that again, that teaches people though to then worry about what other people think, which mm -hmm. you've got to focus on that side of things. And it's like it's it's kind of it's a big it's difficult, isn't it? If you try, yeah. They, they the say that he says that like it. It's a very simple philosophy, but it's actually it's simple to grasp, like really simple to understand. I thought, but very difficult to put into practice because it goes counter to a lot of our sort of natural impulses. I think, or most people's natural impulses. And when I was talking about trauma, like if, like if we're talking about like. Yeah, you know, I think you had a valid point where you were like things used to like keep you up at night and now 
you don't even remember what they were. I, I looked at it as if like when I was studying in school, if I was studying for a test or something, I would be so like nervous and freaked out in the runnings in the run up to it because I'm like, oh my God, I'm so one and, and it was kind of traumatizing to a point where you're like, Jesus, my future relies on this test. Like if I fuck this up, like what am I gonna do? And then you do the test and for good or bad, there's this moment after you've completed the test. You don't go home and you bury your head in your pillow and you go, oh my God, my results, like I fucked the test or I did anything. You have I'm this moment sorry. where you're like, thank God that's over. And do you and know it, what difference it makes? Well, yeah, eventually it just makes no difference. I know so many people. I mean, we, we, we've got so many people applying for, for, for job roles that we've got up in, in Weymouth and in Manchester that yeah. are so, so, so qualified, but they're not right for the position. I mean, like the highest paid role that I'm I'm currently advertising for, um, they are, the, the, the role doesn't require you to have any degrees. I've been to college, been to university, or to, or to have done anything else. The role requires you to be a computer programmer, which is something that you can't, um, you can't really learn in school because anybody who can do computer programming wouldn't go and work at a school for crap money when they could build their own software products and get sales guys to go out and sell them and make loads of money doing it that way. Or they can work for somebody who can sell it and they can make six figures a year. Whereas making six figures a year, if you are not a computer programmer and you're the most qualified guy in the room, is very difficult without working 40, 50, 60 hour weeks. Yeah. Almost impossible. Uh, I can see that. Even lawyers and, and, and doctors and, and like you get surgeons and people say, wow, he's a surgeon. He's making loads and loads of money. He's like, yeah. And he work, does 15 hour shifts, six days a week. And he's got loads of money in the bank that makes absolutely no difference to his life whatsoever, except for the few hours he is in home, probably sleeping. He's sleeping in a nice house in a nice area. Whereas it doesn't make a difference if he's keeping in a fucking tent. Because no. the, the hours that matter are the hours you're awake. And in the hours you're awake, you're actually spending at work and if he and if he was sleeping in a tent he would be so much richer than he is so much because spending all of his money yeah. on his house anyway so yeah you know, well I, i'm not that. a surgeon but yeah i know what you mean it's like it's 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 yeah right that's let's push thing. on so some of my uh, notes came but this week i did yes. a different type style of notes so freedom the book says you can change how you act or think at any time no matter what has happened before so do you agree or do you disagree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do agree. I think that that's the, it, it is the only thing we have power over are our thoughts and actions. Internal um, decisions. You don't have power over anything else. Like that is all you have power over. And that is super freeing because you, you're the only one that can change you. And um, which is great because that means that the power is, the ball is always in your court and the power is always in your hands and you can, make the changes that you you want to and and like it does relate to trauma in a way it's you see people who have had like really bad childhoods and and stuff like that and i'm really lucky that i had quite a supportive childhood but i know other people haven't um if you spend your whole life thinking like oh, oh my god like i'm still you basically will spend your whole life as a kid that got beaten up by their parents you get beaten up every day by your parents in in your own head because of that trauma and you're the only one that can switch that off um you think people who don't have empathy are then free yeah so that that's an interesting part of the 
I got this too. I thought about it slightly differently. I was like, does this book kind of encourage being a narcissist? Sociopath, narcissist, or whatever the word because, is. Yeah, I, I, it's... Because it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're, you're the only one that... But you can't be you can't be a narcissist though. If I walk past an old man and he's in pain, I'm gonna pick him up and I'm help him, probably put him in my car and take him to a hospital or somewhere. Like if, if I see someone getting beat up, even though I've been arrested and got in trouble for it in the past, if I see someone getting beat up, I'm gonna jump out of my fucking car and stop it. And mm -hmm. and in a lot of occasions you probably shouldn't, but you can't make yourself into a narcissist who's gonna if you see someone getting beat up, you're gonna pull over and watch and film it and then put it on YouTube like some of these scummy little bastards would do. You kind of can't stop yourself from you're built that way. You know what I mean? Mm. Even to try and yeah. teach yourself. But if you naturally, um, if you naturally have no empathy and you only think about yourself, does that mean mean you're more free or not more free? Um, I more think that I yeah, I think that you're you might be free, but I don't think you'd be fulfilled because I think I I kind of agree with the book in so much that fulfillment really comes from from the way that you interact and build up people around you contributing and to society yeah yeah i think that when you say it like that sometimes it can be a bit more you makes people think about like charity and stuff it's not necessarily about that but i know yeah it is kind of like contributing and building the people up around you even if that community is just your family and even yeah, if we, that thing that you're doing is just looking after your your mom or doing like the dishes or something like that just a small thing it's really that is we used to live in a place in, in Lee, in Manchester, or, or just outside of Greater Manchester, and we lived on this beautiful little housing estate, right? And it was off it was off quite a rough area, but we were just out of it, and it was really big houses, and it was, it was lovely. And there was an old man, and, and he used to regular come out, and, and on the end, because we lived right on the very end of the thing, right at the very end, so nobody ever passed. And there was an old man that lived just across the road and up the street a little bit from us, and he would, he would, he would come out about once a week, and he would literally sweep the whole road, the road, the paths, the street, and nobody ever said to him, thanks for doing it. Nobody ever went to him and said, why the fuck are you doing that? It was just, that was his little contribution that that must have made him feel like I've 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 kept my street clean for me and for my neighbors. And like he'd do it outside our house, he'd do it outside the houses across yeah. the road. And, and, he, and, and, and every single week he'd come out and you see him there every week. Every single week he'd come out, and when it when it's not raining, um, you'd see him come out, and, it, and he'd be out. And, and whether it was because it gave him the opportunity to stop and talk to people because he lived on his own, um, because he lived in a big house, beautiful house, but he lived there on his own. Whether it was that because whenever he was there, I would go and speak to him, probably a few of the other neighbors would, or whether it was just that that was his little bit of contribution to. So 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 it's, it's insignificant, but that was his contribution. Nobody ever thanked him. Nobody ever went to him and said, "Wow, really appreciate you doing this." Because nobody really gave a shit. I wouldn't care if there's a big oil stain outside me, on the on the road outside my house or yeah. something similar. But that was what he did, and you just made me think about it. I mean, you said it. I thought, shit, yeah, that old guy. And he's probably dead now. But, uh, but that but, was his thing. Yeah, but also the fact that he's doing it makes it kind of significant because you think you think about it more. Like you wouldn't care if there was an oil stain outside of your house. You'd be like, oh fuck it. But because he's going there and cleaning it every week, you become sort of more conscious of it. And I think that yeah. that's when he's talking about community and I think that that's something, you know, having a place in community and it makes you feel good and fulfilled. I, I can, I can agree with that. And I think mm. my, if I put my tinfoil hat on for a second, I think that, I think that that's something that maybe the internet 
reliance that we have now on the tech reliance or it's something governmental maybe if you want to be a little conspiratorial about it they don't like that i think people want that to stop i think people in power want that to stop they want communities um, to stop don't they and they want our yeah. community to be online i think they want to make communities so big that no one can really feel like they can influence it and um i think that they're doing that by removing small communities by one one making young people who would go out and play and talk and then grow up with those bonds and form communities. Um, they no longer do that because they're glued to their screens. Um, but also I think that there's a, an element of like the family as well and how the family unit is something that is kind of been attacked in, in a way. And I mean, I don't mean like the, there are lots of things wrong with the traditional family. I don't necessarily think that there's, you know, a, a man forced into a provider role, a woman forced into the the child rearing role. They weren't Fair forced. Enough. That was that was that historically that 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 started when we were still running around fields and fucking murdering animals and cooking them on a fire. And the woman would stay at home and protect the kids and stay with the children and 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 and, and, br- and it's natural. I mean, the, these these uh, it was who said it? it was Ricky Gervais. He's like in in one of his shows, and he's like um. Like you, you can you can say you can you can pick on gays and you can pick on lesbians and you can pick on fucking um, all these different types of people and you can pick on races and stuff like that, but you can't pick on a specific type of woman and that's these new women that have got dicks. <laughs> and when he said it, I was like, yeah, it's like it's fucking in my eyes. I just don't get it. I don't. I mean, maybe I'm just shallow and I don't understand it. But in my opinion, when he said it, I thought there's only him could get away with saying it. But it kind of makes sense. I mean, I mean, the human role is to breed and spread the fucking. That's it. We're replication devices, aren't we? Right. right, right and right. basically, what we do is we have kids. So it's mm-hmm. usually man, woman. Woman does that. Man protects the family from outside dangers and goes out and fucking brings back food. And nowadays, because of the society and the way we built it, we do it by making money. And then obviously it's more civil nowadays, but it's the same process. Otherwise, society falls to pieces. Yeah, I think there's the reason I use the term forced is because I feel like there's a resentment there from both sides. I think that the resentment is like that there's a lot of men that... are like, you know, well, I earn all the fucking money. So, you know, you, you know, and they can be harsh because of that. And they, there is a resent, a level of resentment. Like, well, I'm the one who has to bust my balls going out to work all day, doing a job I hate, being unfulfilled because I'm in this, like, I feel almost trapped in the, the family as it is. And then the woman being like, well, nobody helps me around the fucking house. This guy, all he does is go out to work. He's probably talking to other women. Uh, I have no control over him when he's outside of the house. And then, you know, he comes home, does whatever he wants. And then I'm, I've, you know, and I think there's like, if you, if you don't agree on these things beforehand, which I think is something that not many people do, but I did. Yeah. I met my missus. I said, we're not doing anything unless you, 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 you're happy with this situation. You'll never have to worry about money. You'll never have to work. You'll never have to do all that crazy shit. What you'll get to do is be a proper mother to our children, bring the children up, have a decent relationship, not stress about money, not stress. And back then I didn't have all the money I've got now, but I knew for a fact back then that I was the guy that was just going to go out and do anything it took 
to give my family a good life, anything. I didn't give a flying fuck what it was. Whether it was legal, illegal, I wasn't bothered as long as I could give my family a good... And my missus could be a mother, full-time mother. Um, and that was kind of... We agreed on that. And I don't do... I, I've, I've, I've not washed a dish in <laughs> 10 years, probably. I'm, I mean... And and that's like lots. Of, there are there are a group of people that would look at that and be like, "Oh, that's like a horrible, like patriarchal, like whatever." I think you you gave, the, but the choice was there, and that's the most important part. And if she said no, then you wouldn't have done it. It would have been different. We'd have had a modern relationship, which means yeah, she lives in one house over there with her and the kids, and I live in an apartment somewhere on my own with a cook and a cleaner. That would have mm -hmm. been the situation because there's no way I'm getting dragged into doing pointless tasks around the house and things like that. Now, don't get me wrong. In the last few years, I've said, should we get a cook? Should we get a cleaner? Should we get things like this? But my missus doesn't want that. She likes the family. It's her house. It's her family. They're her. And, and she's the boss. I go in the house. I'm not the boss of the house. We get the exact same salary. Me and her pay, I pay the company pays us identical salaries. Um, mm -hmm. Mine covers all the shit mine's supposed to cover because I'm a man, so it's the mortgage and the bills and all the other things. And she gets to use hers to, to, to thingy with the children. And it works brilliantly. Um, if you're happy to be a mother, but some people are not happy to be a mother and they want a career and they want to go out and be successful and do all that. And that's completely Which right is well. fine, right? But yeah. there's, but the problem is when we're forced into those roles by feeling like there's some kind of outward societal pr pressure to be in those roles. Like even though like nature might guide us towards those roles, which it does, but nature also guides us towards stuff that is just not applicable anymore because, you know, like the world changes. Like, it just happens. Like, um, and yeah, I just think that that's something that people get can get like stuck in and really feel resentment for. And I think the part of that is because society is telling people that they shouldn't want certain things that maybe would genuinely give them some fulfillment rather than just hedonism. Um, and I don't know what that means. What does hedonism mean? Use, use like a word when you're English people like, <laughs> uh, like being self being self obsessed or like only like, you know, uh, uh, doing things for your own pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Selfish. So yeah, it's like you, you want to have this, you, you need to have this because this is going to make you feel fulfilled. Like you need to, why have kids when you can have, have two nice cars? Like, yeah, it makes no sense. Does why, it? Why would anyone want to have children when look at my house, look at my things, look at all of this stuff that I have. Why would you want to have children when you can have all of this stuff? It's like, uh, I because like, raising a fucking human life and like carrying on the species and bringing up another generation of people to have the view people are like i can never change the nothing i do ever matters and i can't change the world and like it's it just i have no impact on anything like oh are you gonna have you know are you gonna have children yeah. no i just want fucking nice cars it's like well no wonder that nothing you do matters yeah. <laughs> you know, like you know I, what i mean I was in the house a few days ago, right? My my daughter's non-verbal, as you know. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, she doesn't understand instructions, and she doesn't understand us telling her to do things. And she's like, she, she's seriously fucking artistic, right? But she she's got this beautiful nature about her, and she does these little shows where she um, where she gets her characters, and she makes these like verbal noises, but they're not words. So she's going rah, 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 as if they're talking to each other, right? Yeah. And the other night, right, I, I'm I'm letting my room watching someone on TV. The missus is downstairs doing something, and Alexis is in her bedroom, which is the room next door to us. Um, and and all I hear is, "Mummy, mummy, 
daddy dead loud like that and I was like fuck I jumped out of bed I was like Lord did you hear that and she's like what and I was like Alyssa's just said mommy mommy daddy and and, and whatever and running a room and she's she's messing with these two toys and she's doing and mate that that like like we've had 20 30 40 50 60 grand days right and mm-hmm. that one thing beats every single one of them put together hands down a hundred times over because it was it was beautiful. It was real. It's something you actually physically can give a flying fuck about. Something you really can yeah. care about. Whereas, I, I was, um, and 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 another thing a few weeks back. So she she can say the odd word, right? I, yeah. I, I might have told you about this. I remember the other day. Um, I goes into my bedroom, and whenever whenever you leave her alone, she'll go in and she destroys everything. Purposely just wrecks it, right? And you come in and she's laughing. She finds it, right? And so I goes in and she'd got stuff out of the bathroom, toothpicks and things like that, thrown them all over the bedroom, thrown them all over the thingy, got um, the the aftershaves, poured them out, things like that. And I goes in the room, I was like, oh, Lexi, not again, right? So I start deciding, so I was like, get out, get out. So um, she, she goes out the bedroom, I'm like picking up these things and I goes, for fuck's sake, right? <laughs> and then he hears from, from the bedroom door, she can't talk, and he hears from the bedroom door, for fuck's sake, and <laughs> just looking at this one. I was like, and he oh, stops going around the house. It's like, and, and that was like one of the first clear sentences I've ever heard her say. And she said, for fuck's sake. And I thought, that's oh, so funny, she, man. She, 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 she listened, she thingy. And, and it was like, it was, yeah, it was awesome. It was, it, it was great. It was like, made me super happy because it's like, she spoke, but it was also like, I said to my missus later, because me and my missus both swear a bit too much, I would imagine. But the kids don't. And I was like, now she's starting to say words We because we can't control what she says and when she says it. And it's like, you're not allowed to swear, even though daddy's terrible. Um, we've, we're have we having to stop swearing around her and stuff because she has repeated a couple of things. Like, it's just the yeah. odd word here and there. Kids uh, are learning but, machines, aren't they? Yeah. Like, well, that mummy, mummy, daddy thing. And what it was, she had these figures and she's playing with them and she was pretending one of them was the mum and one was the dad. Yeah. And she's like, mummy, mummy, daddy. And like that one thing that happened, I was like, I couldn't even sleep proper that night. I was so excited and so happy. And so like, that was amazing. Did you see it? She's going to start talking. She's going to, um, and she isn't, <laughs> but, but not I don't, yet, I don't anyway. know. I think, I think she, she will probably in time. I'm not hundred percent sure about like her condition, but I know that there are, I've had like when I was teaching, I had students that couldn't speak. They were nonverbal and, but it's not that they couldn't speak. It's that they, they were just nonverbal. Like they, there was a, they kind of can and they kind of can't. I know it's kind of similar with, with Alexis, like she can say some words, but yeah. it just in time, like I, I remember seeing one like a couple of years <clears throat> down the line and they're like completely different. The kids change so fast and, and they can if I, if I walk in a room and I say, hi, Alexis, what are you doing in that? And she's doing, she, she won't even look at me. She won't pay any attention. Mm. If I stand behind her and say, Alexis, come here, babe. She'll just totally ignore me. He's, mm. he's, he's, he's thinking, but she's a super loving kid as long as she's interested like it's weird because I thought autistic children didn't show emotion, didn't show love, didn't want cuddles. But like sometimes I'll come into the house and she'll come running up to me and jump and get a cuddle and all that stuff. Whereas other times she just act like you're not even there. And even if you speak to her or talk to her or try and get anything, she'll just totally ignore you. Um, and I think yeah. it's, I guess it's something you have to get used to and, and not take it personally when she totally blanks you and just be there whenever she wants you to be affectionate or she wants you to have fun or she wants to do something. Uh, a, a, yeah. a big thing now is daddy's hand out to the car let's go for a drive she, she gets me she throws me hand towards the keys because i have keys on a hook in the kitchen she gets me hand throws him up towards the keys like that so then i'll get the keys off then she'll run to the door and she'll stand waiting at the door like let's go she'll jump in the front That's of the really car sweet. 
Uh, in fact, the car's full of footprints now um, inside, but I don't care. Uh, and she jumps in and she gets in the front next to me and then, and then she'll sit there and she won't even speak for the whole journey. She'll, I'll drive around sometimes for two and three hours um, and and I'll come back home and I'll get literally five minutes in the house and she'll be like poof, dragging me straight back out the door. Like, let's go for a drive again. She just likes going for drives. Wow. At first I thought she wanted to go to the shop and then, so I'd take her to the shop, buy loads of junk and bring it about like she's dragging me out of the house. It's dead exciting. But then I realized she's not that bothered about the shop. So then I started trying to take her to the beaches and the arcades and for walks. And it's not that. What she wants is to just go for a drive. She just likes sitting and looking at things and, and just, wow. just driving around. Yeah, and just sometimes experiencing we'll stuff. Get to, we'll get to roundabouts. You've got to pay attention to what she's doing. Because if, she, if we're driving to a roundabout and we're in an area she's used to, she'll do that and just point out the window. Like, in other words, like, go that way, go that way. Or she'll really? point in front to say, go forward or go right. She did it the other day. I was taking Cameron to uh, Karate in Dorchester. And we had to turn right at the traffic lights and she's going like this, pointing forward. And I was like, I can't, baby, because she sat next. I can't, baby, we've got to go this way to take camera. And she's just going like that, pointing forward. She's making this thing. So I thought, right, sorry, I went forward, <laughs> turned the <laughs> car around and then did a left. I thought she got her own way, but we kind of had to uh, figure it out. Anyway, we're going well off subject, aren't we? <laughs> no, that was cool. Um, right, let's keep on tracking. <clears throat> Uh, so our next note is about anger. This was another thing that I thought was a bit, uh, another one of the sort of like uh, uh, important points of the book early on that sort of hooks you. I thought this was one of the first things he started speaking about where I was like, oh, okay, I'm quite interested in this. Um, so in the book, anger is treated like other emotions as a tool to achieve a goal. And, and I, I agreed with this more than any other point in the book. And that's why I took it out of my notes because I knew you'd bring it up. Um, this because I was a little shit growing up, um, mm -hmm. and and I would actually use, I would kick off about things in school, at home, in 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 situations. If somebody would insulted me, I would I would I would I would kick off and start a fight. Um, and I didn't realize, but when he said it in the book, he, as as a youngster, I just thought I had a bad temper. But it wasn't you using it for a means to an end. Um, and, and he explains it really well with the telephone conversation in the book where he says that if if a woman is really mad and she's shouting at a child and the phone rings and it's somebody important on the phone, she'll put a phone voice on, she'll have a conversation with the person on the phone in a great mood, blah, 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 blah. And as soon as she puts the phone down, she'll turn and be back angry at the child. So mm -hmm. it shows that you can turn anger on and off. And when people say, I flew into a rage and I did X, well, he, I think, he, does he say this in the book? That if you had a gun and you shot somebody, yeah, it would not have been your yeah. fault because you didn't do it because you had yeah. no control and that as soon as he kind of explains it that way it was like holy fucking shit yeah the anger is something you can be switched on and off you don't necessarily need to get angry and if you do um you can turn it off you can absolutely you can so he gives it he gives an example in the book about um how uh he was in a restaurant and then the waiter dropped coffee on his brand new favorite shirt and um and ruined it and he flew into this rage and started screaming at the waiter and um you know, he's the the philosopher says, you know, you've used anger there as a tool to get power over the waiter, whereas yep. you kind of knew full well that the waiter is obviously in the wrong. They've obviously done something worth apologizing for. Yep, they'll apologize, and likely they'll they'll even offer to dry clean your stuff for you. Like that's probably going to happen whether you scream at them or not. It's probably more likely to happen if you're nice to them nice and okay with it and i was thinking about that and um i thought about slightly different scenarios about like, the waiter who the waiter is and who the person sitting in the cafe is 
um, and uh, how that relates to anger as well. Like, for example, if the waiter is a is a waitress, is a female, and um, she say she's a young, attractive female, and the guy who gets the coffee poured on him is a single man. Yep, it's the same Probably. scenario, but yep. the the reaction is completely, and it shows how good looking people have it easier. <clears throat> Yeah. Or let's say the waiter is a six foot four rugby player with two cauliflower ears and the he pours he pours boiling hot coffee on a guy. And the guy's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's fine. Because <laughs> he knows yeah. if he flies off the handle, he's with this like absolute There's a gorilla. chance he could just slap you one and knock you out and, and, right. and then it's self-preservation. So, okay. So are you really angry or are you just actually trying to leverage your emotional response to to achieve some kind of goal, the goal being power over a person. And there's no point in using anger to get more power over a guy who's clearly just big enough to, if he matches your enemy, beat, beat you into submission. <laughs> um, there's no I point in using son, the anger. So. My, my son's similar to what I was when I was younger. He gets, he, he's and I understand it more than my parents did. My parents never tried to, to, to help me understand it, but, but, mm -hmm. um, He's kind of his emotion. He, his emotions control take over, and 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 he can't hold back that anger. But he also can't hold back the sadness. Sometimes when something goes wrong, he gets furious to the point where he can't control it. And I think mm -hmm. I told you a few weeks on it. I, I, so I've had him reading some of the things we've been reading, and I got him to read Meditations of Marcus Aurelius, and it had a real um, uh, good impact on him. And still now, even though that and that was, I don't know if it was a couple of months ago now when he when he finished that one because he reads a lot. But yeah. like, if he's getting angry and stuff, I'll take the piss. I'll, I'll come out. I'll be like, "Are oh, you getting angry for?" And all that, and then I'm getting close, and I go, "Don't forget, Marcus Aurelius." And whenever I say it, he smiles, and straight away, I think he realizes, like, "Oh shit, yeah, okay, that's kind of." Mm -hmm. Um, and that works. It still works now, and I still, still use it. And sometimes, but I think it's more of like, my dad's an idiot. He thinks this is working, but it works because he thinks I'm an idiot, and he thinks I think it works because he, he yeah. most because because what that one thing that meditations of Marcus Aurelius taught him were not to um not to stress not to worry not to to, to let things get to you because like like we were saying earlier nothing actually really matters to the point where especially these stupid things you get angry about like games and um mm -hmm. silly shit yeah definitely i think that's really common with with kids like super common like we would i i would not play competitive games in the classroom a lot because when i was teaching i was teaching at these private schools and they the kids were often like they hadn't they had nannies that brought them up so they were really um like they always got their way with everything and then you put them yeah, in but, a room full of other kids and they lose and it just gets really nasty in, in cameron's school they even made sports day where it's a team sport yeah there's not seven winners there's one fucking winner man teach the, the, these people to try and excel and become the best at something and that really got to me that but i guess yeah you was but, doing it for you you're not doing <clears throat> yes. these, these these things not for the children's uh, uh welfare but because it's oh no like dealing with the little oh shit yeah fuck that oh my god like <laughs> jesus christ and, and like a, i'm sure you know as a as a parent like a, a three four-year-old child they'll fucking cry for two hours they don't give a shit they've got nothing better to do they will settle in and they will cry for two hours and that will ruin my day very badly. Yeah. So I don't want to deal with that. And then if you're a teacher, you've got a boss, especially where I was working in like a kindergarten. Um, we had these, I had this boss who would come over and be like, you know, 
know, why is someone so so upset? Someone so said this happened. And you're like, yeah, they're fucking three years old. They have no idea what happened. <laughs> they're just, <laughs> they're just literally yeah. kicking off a banter. <laughs> just, just leave yep. them to yep. it. And but they have to treat it seriously because obviously it's. My, my um, little girl, I know I keep talking about my kids. My little girl, though, she, she has a thing, right, that where if I ask her to do something, right? So yesterday, she 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 got a bit of water on her knee, right? So I grabbed her a bit of tissue off the thing, passed it to her. She's rubbed her knee. She threw it on the floor, and I said, no, no, pick it up and put it in the bin. She's going, ah, getting dead mad. I was like, no, pick it up and put it in the bin, right? So we've got one of them electric bins where as soon as you put your hand over, it opens, right? So I was like, put it in the bin. So as soon as I said to her, like put it, I said it about four times. I was like, no, you don't throw it on the floor. You put it in the bin. So she picks it up. She puts it in the bin and I go, good girl. Right. And and I do it on purpose now because I know if I say good girl, she's like, as if like, you think you're telling me what to do. So she understands and she goes, ah, she gets dead angry. Well, yesterday she opened the bin and took the tissue back out and threw it back on the floor. And I was like, put that back <laughs> in the bin, put it back in the bin. Right. And whenever you say good girl for doing anything, whether she, whether it's some like, I could be in the middle of a conversation. I'll say, yo, I'll do this, Alexis. I'll put, lift her arm up to do this. And, and, She'll pull her out and I'll go, good girl. And she'll go, ah, she gets dead mad at you. Like, don't, don't act like you can tell me what to do. But then yesterday after, so I said, put it in the bin, put it in there. I told her about four times until she puts this tissue in the bin and I could see her stood there. She's got this bottle of water in her hand and it's open. I can see her looking at it and she's <laughs> looking at me and she just went, put it on the floor and ran. And I thought, she's so mad that I made her put something in the bin. She's like, you're not controlling me. You're not making me do these things. And it's very difficult. I do, and, I, and I don't know if she gets that from me because I'm super stubborn or if she gets that because she's artistic. But because she's artistic, it comes out in a way that you can actually recognize it as she's doing it. I can see her looking at it like, and you, you're yeah. like, I know she's about to do. Like if you tell her to do something and then you, you praise her for it, she gets mad at you. But if mm -hmm. she you ask her to do something and she don't want to she'll just wreck the whole room um yeah which is anger that's that's, that's a, way of getting her own way yeah and there's a bit in the book later about praise and rebuke and like telling kids off especially which i'm sure we'll we'll get to eventually probably quickly because we're uh running out of time so let's keep on rocking i think this is your note right uh, yes, um, happiness. So it tells us that being happy can come from helping your community or doing good things for others. Now, the reason I put this one in there is I wanted to kind of just elaborate on this a little bit because doing things for your community and doing things for others, if it doesn't come with a a thank you, if it doesn't come with a praise, if it doesn't come with, uh, and I know we've already covered this, but if it doesn't come with that, people will not want to continue doing it. So in most cases, it means they're only doing it because they want the praise, not doing it because they actually want to help people. Um, a great person, a great example of somebody who does this as a selflessness, or I believe he does, is um, the fighter Dustin Poirier. All right. Um, and he runs a good fight foundation. So he, he does things oh, yeah. like, heard of that I mean, before. The, the guy's made millions. He doesn't need anybody to 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 um to think he's a nice guy or not anymore. I mean, he's a fighter for a living, so people automatically think he's a thug. Um, yeah. And he runs something called the Good Fight Foundation. And it started off by he used to get the old fighters to give their clothing to him after the fights, and he'd auction that off and use the money and raise it for charity for his local community. Um, and now it's got to the point where the charity's generating millions, and he spends most of his life doing that. And I don't think he did that because he didn't tell people about it at the beginning. I don't think he did that for the praise. I think he did that because he, he genuinely is a nice guy and genuinely wanted to help his local community. Um, whereas some of these charities, obviously, they do it because you don't have to financially put all the money into the charity, which is most of the yeah. big charities are just ripping off society. Yeah, um, I think people have like a, I think there is like a, people have an urge to give, don't they? But I think they do have like a, 
there is a human urge to to help others. Um, but if somebody helps and then they want to tell people about it, are they doing that for selfish reasons? Because you get people who will donate yeah, 20, you're right. 20, 30, 40 grand to charity and never tell anybody. But then mm-hmm. you get some other people who want to shout from the hills about, I donated this to this and I want to be on the website for it. I want to be on this for it. And they're not doing it for the people. They're doing it for themselves. Yeah, it depends, doesn't it, on what the um, the reason is for that for like getting the recognition because sometimes if it is like a celebrity it can raise the profile of the charity and make more people donate so like if it's a net positive to receive like celebrities recognition don't for do it. shit for anyone they do it for themselves celebrities are super self for in most cases are super selfish it's, it's well i think that's them. just i think that comes hand in hand with being a celebrity is that yeah, you wouldn't be uh, one otherwise to, would you? to become famous you have to like it's quite you know it's one of those hard it's hard to get but it's harder to keep and um keeping that going is a lot of yeah a lot of people look at, based... uh, at high level actors and they're like oh this guy lucky bastard he got this but they don't realize that they probably went to three to five different auditions every single day for months and months and months and months and months and did every single job that they got thrown at them until they got to the point where one of them ended up going big and yeah. it's, it's, it's still the hardy work lucky you get it's true in it yeah, definitely. I think that it's like everyone's people see the overnight success thing, don't they? And they're just like, oh, this person came out of nowhere. They're an overnight success, but they don't really realize how badly they've actually struggled to to get, get there. Yeah. Um, relationships. The book talks about how it's better to have friendships where everyone is equal instead of ones where people are always trying to be better than each other. Yeah, they talk about having uh, horizontal relationships rather than vertical. Um, I know last week, horizontal and vertical. <laughs> we were struggling with horizontal and vertical a little bit. I still don't know what they are, mate. It's like something that I've... I, I think horizontal's that way and vertical's that way, but it's just one of them things that just doesn't stick for me. Yeah, um, like verbs and nouns and grammar and all that shit doesn't stick. I can't keep. I, I, I'm great with 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 strategy. I'm great yeah. with long term strategy. I'm great at looking at summer and saying, right, I can figure out what's going to happen with this business from there. And over the next three years, I can figure out how to turn it from. Let's say we invest five hundred quid in summer. I can turn it into ten grand in three years, and I can see the whole three years. But then you ask me to spell it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't stay. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, if you if you if you're good at that, I guess. Fuck nouns. Who cares? Um, <laughs> I don't know what they are either. I, I, I know Cameron's tried to teach me adverbs, ad now, uh, not ad nouns. They're not a real thing, are they? Adverbs, adjectives, nouns, adjectives. That's the other one. Yeah. Um, consonants, vowels, shit like that. And, and I'm always like, mate, it just don't. I'm not interested, so it won't stick. Yeah. If I can. Yeah, talk. we got it beaten into us at school, so we. I never went. So now yeah. I now I teach kids as well, and it's just yeah, the cycle continues. Um, but yeah, talking about horizontal rather than vertical. So um, vertical is having like hierarchical relationships with people, uh, whereas having a horizontal relationship is all about being um, on level footing, bringing value. Um, yeah, everyone has their own unique value, where you don't necessarily, you know, if if one person is really wealthy or one person isn't or one person has a nice car and one person doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Brothers and sisters is a great example. Brothers and sisters, they don't bring anything that each other wants to the relationship. They don't give a flying fuck what each other thinks about one another, but what they do is they care and they both bring that certain 
brotherly relationship, brother and sister relationship. Like my brothers, I've not seen them for ages. Probably been a few months now because they live in Manchester. I live down here. Yeah. But the relationship is such a tight bond that it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's is it vertical? Vertical, yeah. Horizontal. Vertical relate. Is it? Verticals upwards. Uh-huh. <laughs> I see you told you. Well, sticking. <laughs> you said it a minute ago. It's a horizontal relationship where there where there's no benefit from either person. Mm-hmm. But does the point to the relationship is is deeper. Yeah, well that is the benefit, isn't it? Like just being around each other is the benefit and like knowing each other's benefit. Yeah, I've got a ton of friends that you know, like uh, I'm sure there are times where I've they've they've helped me out when I haven't like when I've had to move home from when I had to move home from the Czech Republic and I didn't have a car and all of these things like they would happily give me lifts to stuff so I wasn't like excluded from the group and they they could have easily leveraged that as some kind of like yeah we, you know I've got my life sorted out and this guy hasn't but never once has anyone ever even you know it's, it's never even been a conversation and like if one of my friends can't if I've paid for something for them and they can't pay me back straight away never is it like a conversation of like oh man like i really it's always just like that's fine it's cool get me back when you're when you can you've got money nobody ever pays you back they all just assume that you're not bothered Mm -hmm. you have to stop taking it as an insult yeah yeah (laughs) he does get to that point where it's like he, he doesn't care about that it's only a tenner it's only 20 it's only 50 quid and you're like but in most circles that'd be something they wouldn't stop talking about whereas yeah, as you start to get to a, a certain point in life, they're like, if you borrow them 50 quid, it's literally you're giving it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That um, tells us that we should yeah. not praise or tell our children off, rather offer them encouragement. Mm-hmm. So this is like a, an interesting one that I didn't necessarily agree with straight away. And then I took like a bit of time and I was like, mm, I can kind of get behind this. I sort of know. And you've explained it before when we were talking about praise and you're like, we're, basically we've been all brought up to do things for the praise. And that comes from childhood of being, of doing things to impress our parents or to get praise from our parents and to avoid being told off by our parents. Um, and um, that is something that uh, I probably was a slight victim of because I have always found it quite difficult to get away from what I think my parents, and I mean, if I asked them, they'd probably be like, no, like do whatever you want. We just want you to be happy. Uh, but internally, I think because of the way that I was brought up on like always trying to keep them happy, um, always that's made me into a bit of a people pleaser. There's also made me um, not want to disappoint them with my career choices or like lifestyle choices or anything like that. Um, As a parent, <clears throat> you yeah. need to be able to learn to say to your children. So when your children do something, you need to le- need to learn. Is that who you want to be, or is that really the person that you want to grow up to become, or is this the type of person you want to? And and you need to give them the you need to give them the 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 guilt with the question of you make the decision if you want to be that person. That's totally fine. You be that person, but is that the person you want to be growing up? Do you want to be a decent X Y Z person, or do you want to be a person who like disrespects their mother because? they're pissed off about i don't know some, something super trivial or do you want to be a person who who grows up and has respect for their mother and has respect for their family and blah blah and if you ask them the questions i think it's more about with children it's more about asking right rather than turning around and saying why are you doing that you little shit right because that doesn't change anything i think with children yeah, i agree with this the the encouragement side of things 
comes from asking them the questions and letting them make the decision in their own head. And I find that works brilliantly. If I turn around and shout at my kid for doing something, the camera will just tell me to fuck off, probably. He's not bothered. He's got no respect for me. He has, but it's like we're more friends than he wouldn't do that to his mother or in front of his mm -hmm. mother. Uh, but I don't. I don't really tell them off the things. I would always turn around and ask them questions about it. It's like, why did you do that? And what was the point to it? And is that the type of person you want to be? And then and, and do you feel proud of yourself for doing what you've just done? And if you ask those type of questions, your children will, the, 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 the reaction, they're making the decision themselves. So they become a person that's not always trying to be a people pleaser, but what they are doing is they're talking to themselves internally and saying, okay, I actually get why I shouldn't be doing that because yeah. I don't want to be that type of person. As long as they're not like trying to answer those questions by giving you the answer that they think that you want to hear, then I think that's. I don't up. ask him for the answer. I yeah. ask him the question and leave it with him. So right, mate, you just done yeah. X. Do you really want to grow up and be the person that's known that he does that or treats his mum like that or the, the guy who various things and 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 I don't ask wait for an answer. I mm. just let him think, and he's a thinker. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, he seems to be. Yeah, I, I thought that your example with Marcus Aurelius when you were just like, remember Marcus Aurelius? Like, that's yeah. a really interesting, that's a good, like, that's an example of, like, the Adlerian sort of encouragement approach of yeah. more more than being like, why are you being so angry about this? Why are you getting bent out of shape about it? And being, like, a little antagonistic is better to be, like, even though there is, like, a level of sort of, like, sort of tongue-in-cheek humor about it. You know, you said he smiles about it, and so do you. I think that that is more the sort of like father son males interacting kind of way of yeah. doing things. Cause like if my friends are doing stuff that I don't necessarily, I mean, well, they can live their lives the way that they want, but if it's affecting me and if I'm getting dragged into it, you know, I, I'll always make a joke out of how like stupid I think it is. And then we'll have, you know, that'll be like, ah, okay. Yeah. I can see it from that perspective. Um, yeah, so I, I can see that. So the, the, the prey, if you were just constantly saying like, wow, you're the best at this, or you're fantastic at this, like eventually they're going to fail. And I think that that's really negatively affected some people. In, it's negatively affected me probably with my confidence in doing things because loads of people have always said, oh, you're fantastic at this. Or like, oh, your writing's brilliant. Oh, that's excellent. And then when I've actually kind of put that to the test, so to speak, I found that it's, you know, um, hasn't been received in the same way necessarily at uni or whatever because not everything you write is going to be amazing that's just the way it's life not is. just that do you know what it is it's marketing it's all marketing the, 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 it doesn't like you, you can be the best writer in the world but you've got to remember the rules nobody gives a shit about you and and because nobody gives a shit about you except you really in the big scheme of things that you need to actually market to them so that the benefit goes to them and that, that way, so so, it's like that's why that's why I think these big authors people will write something that's mediocre, and people are like, "Wow, that is absolutely amazing." It's because there's a benefit f for the for the reader in saying it's amazing because he's kind of bigging up to this this big author. So if you're like a what would you call them journalist, and uh -huh. and 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 they write something and you 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 criticize it, then you're in a situation where you're actually negatively affecting a powerful person but your teacher or your your professor whether he thinks that or doesn't think that internally is like what benefit does he get from praising you about your writing probably nothing yeah so he probably doesn't bother or he might have looked at he might have read this book and realized that praise actually 
means you'll do it more just because you want the praise and then you won't actually go on and do it because of the love of writing but you will go on and do it because of the love of praise and when you stop getting praised for it you'll stop doing it so yeah uh, and it's also when the praise runs out you're just like oh my god it's like what the hell like my my life uh my identity i know lots of other uh, they don't use the word identity i think in this book but you you base your identity on the things that you're told that you're good at by other people rather than stuff that you internally know that you're good at or are passionate about and i think because of that you can end up getting really like beat down when people say when when people don't give you either the praise that you're expecting or give you you know tell you off or tell you that something's kind of shit and you're like oh my god like my identity is the guy that's good at this and now i'm being told by this person that i'm not good at it and then you're in an you're in an identity crisis and you're like oh my god like i'm inferior and everything sucks and you can get really doom and gloomy about it i think I think one um, of the biggest identity shifts possible, right, in society will be fighters, right? And I know we always come back to fighters because we're both fight fans, right? But imagine you're number three in the world. You fought all the way through. You're super proud of yourself. You got all the way to the number three in the world fighter, yeah? Yeah. And anyone asks you proud to say, well, I'm number three in the world. You'd be like, I'm I'm number three in the whole world. Not Right, but then what happens is you get a title fight, you win, right? Mm -hmm. Then your next title fight, you lose. And you drop that down to number two or number three in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that thing that you were so proud of before, you're now embarrassed by. And yeah. it's now, well, I used to be champ. And I'll, I'll get it back and I'll be champ again. And that identity shift all of a sudden goes from, you was proud of being number 11, number 10, number nine, number eight, and moving yeah. up the rankings because you'd worked so hard to get there. But once you've reached that pinnacle and then dropped even a little bit, you're no longer proud of the position where you are anymore you're actually then in a situation where you're embarrassed by it and 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 the answer from people that used to be champ will i'm i'm an ex ex champ that I'm, i used to be the champ like i'm i'm good enough to be number one not i'm number three in the world um yeah and and i've seen a lot of fighters who, who after they lose it they lose it don't they yeah um and it's it, a mental it, thing isn't it it destroys them yeah yeah um, i think it's like Part of it is that saying of like, remember where you came from. Like, remember like all the steps on the way, on the journey. That it wasn't just like, you're not just the champ. You're also the person that was like ranked 11 in the world. And you're also a kid. And you're also the same person that was on the first day of your first ever fighting lesson that you ever did. Like you're all those people at the same time. And that's that's like you, that's your identity. And you shouldn't like attribute it to any last thing. My, my friend had this problem with... Um, school really badly with school where he uh he's a very intelligent guy he he has um asperger's syndrome so type of autism as well um and he was always known as like the genius guy yeah he's weird yeah he's like not like everyone else and yeah he's quite hard to get on with sometimes but he's like the super genius that you can always like rely on to be like reliably good in school and um he like clung on to that and he ended up becoming like he was actually even though he wasn't like uh like everyone else he was really fun to be around like people realized it eventually that he's like the life and soul of the pie he went from like the weird nerd in the corner that no one spoke to and he like cried about his hands cramping when he was writing and stuff to being the guy that everyone like went to his house parties and like would have like raging like social gatherings in his house like he he made that transition in like 3 years it was really cool to watch but he attributed all of his like self-worth to how like intelligent he was and how good he was at school and when he got into sick form like sort of like college part of our school 
he they gave everyone a bit more freedom and he's like not uh he he's a bit like you in in the sense that he's like he doesn't do things for other people like not to, to keep other people happy you know what i mean he's like if his teacher's like you need to like your attendance is bad he's like i don't care i'm doing well in the class i don't need to show up fuck you and that was kind of like his thing well it kind of burnt him because in the end he ended up where i think like the social element of his autism kicked in was that he was not really able to go back on some of the like decisions he'd made okay. and yeah. in in like relation to like talking with his teachers and how like flippant he was with them and he ended up just being like well i don't need this anyway like i'm just going to drop out i'll do something else i don't care so he dropped out and then he was like it's fine i can like study on my own and then i'll go to university like a year later or whatever but that's not very easy and i think he found he couldn't he ended up not being able to get into university and then when he eventually he tried it and did like open university and it wasn't really for him and and he ended up basically like i think like he detached his all of the praise he'd got because he struggled socially everyone was like you're amazing you're so smart you're a genius you're so clever to try and like build him up um when he wasn't a social butterfly um ended up biting him on the ass because when he when he hit the limit of what he was able to learn in an academic in an ap- academic situation uh he had nothing like he couldn't find his identity again and th- then you know you can't just be the party guy when school's over and i think that really punished him and he's really struggled on finding his his way he's felt inferior i think because of that we'll talk about inferiority complexes in a minute but yeah i think that that was a real issue with him and and um is something that I noticed when I was reading about it. I was like, oh man, that's how that happened to him. And that sucks because he's such a lovely guy and he didn't deserve it. But it's just if you can relate these learnings to other people, it's good, isn't it? Right. We need yeah. to we need to we said we were gonna keep this to an hour or an hour and twenty already. Yeah, we're we not gonna hustle. Be able to do that, are we? We're not gonna be able to do it. But recognition, it explains that you don't need other people to tell you you're good. It's the same thing we've gone through, kind of. It's yeah. more important to be okay with who you are, even if some people don't like you. Um I thought it was a super important part to just put in because it's like, do you know what people, it, it is all right for people not to like you because, because I mean, do you know, look at this color here, red or look at this color black or this color blue. Not everybody likes it. It's subjective, it's, it's, isn't it? It's not personal to the color. It's just, I don't fucking like how it looks. Um, yeah. And it's the same thing in life with people. Not everybody's everybody's cup of tea. Some people like sirloin steak. Some people like vegetables. Um, it's, it's not that they hate steak or they hate vegetables. It's just that they don't fucking... Yeah, it's yeah. not their cup of tea. So and why, just ex- why would you, accept it. Why would you focus on, you know, if you, it says in the book, if you've got 10 people, one of them absolutely hates you no matter what you do, and two of them are going to be your best buddies no matter what you do, and the other seven are just indifferent. Who are you going to focus on? Like the hater, the crowd, or your buddies? It's like, well, <laughs> obviously my buddies. <laughs> that that's just seems like a better example. You know, it's a better thing for everyone. Like if you just spend time with people that you like, why why waste your energy on other people um and uh, the only thing i have a slight issue with on that is that um you're okay as you are is sometimes like i don't know i i agree with it in principle but i think there are times when we're kind of encouraged to be like no you're fine the way you are when like that person needs to make decisions in their life that will change things so if for example if they're stuck in the 
Freudian way of thinking of things and being like, oh, like my past traumas have affected me and I'll never be able to get out of this. I'm a product of my past. And really they need to read this book. But if you tell them you're okay as you are, they'll be like, fuck, you know, <laughs> well, I'm not, I am who I am, but I'm not okay. But they do yeah, but they need to make okay. ch- changes. Why do they need to make choices? Well, they need to change their lifestyle. But why? If they're happy? Because they're unhappy. They're unhappy. Because my, in my example, that, that person was like, oh, I'm a product of my past and I'll never be able to change. Okay. I, I love, um, you lost me completely it, on that one there. That's okay. But yeah, if, if you like, you know, say to them like, you're fine the way you are. It's okay to be who you are. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you do yeah, have to I don't. Change. I don't tell people that. I say to people, like, find what you love and fucking go after it. Otherwise, yeah, exactly. If you've just got the do balls it. to do that, you've got the balls to do nothing. What do you love yeah. doing? Fucking do it every day. That's it. That's the rule of life. If you find something you love doing, do it every single day. Even if it's just making cocktails, right? Mm-hmm. The thing is, if you love making cocktails, that's the one thing you want to do. And you can't set up a bar or start a bar. Put a bar in your fucking house, make cocktails all day, every day, invite all the people around. People will start talking about your cocktails. When you open a bar, it'll be smashed out because everyone loves your cocktails. It's just something you just got to do the same thing every single day. And that's a stupid example, but it does work. It really does work. If you do what you love every day and forget about everything else, eventually you'll get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Or you'll die. <laughs> or you'll die. <laughs> if, you, if you like drinking cocktails <laughs> rather than making. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Is this yours? Um, I'll take it. Inferiority complex. The book talks about, um, feeling like you're not as good as others. Inferiority. Uh, it says you can overcome this by focusing on what you're good at and how you can help others. Um, yeah, I think that inferiority is very similar to, uh, terms like anxiety. Everybody feels inferior at some point. Um, it's natural. Everybody feels anxious at some point. It's natural. It doesn't mean that you have an anxiety disorder. It doesn't mean that you have an inferiority complex. A complex is when you are like everything you do is affected by this feeling of inferiority like all the time. It's persistent. You you can't manage it. It's just like you end up doing stuff like locking yourself in your house. And I don't agree eating. with the end of that sentence. Uh, and on, how what? you can help others i don't think that should even factor in to what you're good at i think you should i think inferior clump you should the book talks about feeling like you're not as good as others right yeah it says you can overcome this by focusing on what you're good at and i think you yes. should stop there i don't think how it, how how you can help others even factors into it because then you're doing it for recognition again straight away it kind of it kind of um well, no, I think it depends if you're doing it for recognition because it doesn't necessarily why state you're thinking doing of, Right. Yeah, I'm doing this because I'm good at it and I love doing it. Yeah. yeah? I'm not doing yeah. this because of how it can help others because I don't give a flying fucking shit what others think. I'm doing it because I'm good at it and I love doing it. That's it. That's the only reason you should do it. And then, And how you can help others, I think in the book, is kind of, I don't even know what the word is, where, where, where it contradicts the whole point. Because um, straight away, if, you, if you're thinking, right, I'm good at this, I'm going to do this because I want to help others, then all of a sudden, are you, maybe you're not doing it for the recognition, but why, why yeah. do you care? If you love doing it, it's not about how it can help us because you might love doing something like, you might just love catching fish and you want to do it all day, every single day. That doesn't help anyone ever and it never will. So that kind of gives you, it kind of limits what you can do. Yeah. If, if, if you, do you know what I mean? It just doesn't. I, I can see what you mean, but I think that 
um, helping other people. Maybe it should say or how you can help others. I, because I do believe that helping other people in any way, whether you're doing something that you're good at or whether you're literally just helping others, um, can be fulfilling. Oh, yeah, it's positive. It's, it's helpful. But I just don't so, think it makes sense to the actual I mean, um, Adlerian psychology or whatever it's well, called. Well, I, I think it... I think it does because I think that um, when you are doing something positive for another person, that means that you're assisting the community, which gives you a sense of being, which gets rid of the feeling of inferiority because you're actually doing something that can help, like that you're doing something that has benefit. So you don't so feel only, inferior anymore. So this only applies to people who've got an inferior inferiority complex. If you feel like you're better than everyone else, then you shouldn't help anyone. Uh well, I mean, if you feel like you're better than everyone else and start helping other people, maybe you will start realizing that people you know, kind of have the same problems as you and feel a similar way to you. I, I know um, so many people who won't, um, they won't actually admit their deficiencies. They've got that ego where they're, they're, they're like, they, they think they're a little bit better than other people at certain things and they won't drop their levels to say, yeah. I struggle in life. I have problems. I have issues. They really, really can't. Like as an as an entrepreneur, when you when you when you when you when you're selling from stage and things like that, um, you have to admit you 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 because you're in insufficiency in deficiencies. Because if you don't, when you're up there talking, people are like, okay, well he's got this 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 this. He doesn't have the same problems as me, and you mm -hmm. have to let people know actually the same problems exist in all of us and but you can do this from yeah. any situation. I think Tony Robbins was one of the first people to start sharing that knowledge. Yeah. So it's so like looking at people as again, like a horizontal rather than being like a, I'm better than you. So I'm going to sell down to you. It's like, no, I'm the same as you. And this is how I can help you get better or whatever. Um, yeah. I think that what you're talking about is like an overcompensation, which is like the opposite of people that shut themselves in their house. And they're like, I'm so shit at everything. I ruin everything I touch. I just want to disappear. And then there are other people that are like, um, uh, I, I don't feel as good as anyone else. So I'm going to get good at one thing and then tell everyone that they're shit. You could um, talk about this all day, couldn't you? The, this yes. stuff in this book, you can talk it's about all day. You can both agree and disagree and, and thingy. But once you turn it into a conversation, it becomes like, I mean, if there were three or four of us here talking about this, this would end up being a 10 hour podcast because yeah, every single sure. point every single point has got a different point of view and they all come around to the same thing, but you just don't realize it when you first start talking about it. Yeah. And it's like, do I, don't I agree? And I, I like, I liked this book for this, not because of what it did. Cause I only read it once. Is this yours? Yeah. Um, life is a dance. I thought this was kind of quite a beautiful analogy is that life is a dance. The book tells us to imagine that life is a dance and not a race. Uh, I think that when we're in, in schools specifically, but then going into the workplace and everything, society sets up life to be like a race um we're in constant competition with the people around us and it can um and even though there is a benefit to to working on yourself that maybe working on yourself shouldn't be done just to dominate other people it should be done to like genuinely just improve yourself i um, love this saying tells us imagine that life is a dance and not a, this basically basically tells you to enjoy the here and now and don't worry about when the song's going to end because exactly. it's like 
He's the act really of the like dance it. is more important than the outcome, isn't it? Like, because you're, you're enjoying, you're enjoying the dance, you're enjoying it right now. Like, you don't see these people yeah. dancing around and doing all that crazy shit that they do on the dance floors. Then, and and they're, they're thinking about the end of the song or they're worrying about when the end of the song. Because it's just like you, you live, and if you live that way in the yeah. here and now, um, I love it. I like that. And, and you don't get halfway through a song dancing and go, "Oh, I'm halfway through. The song's going to end soon." And I love this song. You're like, you fucking don't also, do that at all. You're not, also desperate to get to the end a lot of people live for retirement mm -hmm. yeah yeah because of the fake margaritas on the beach thing that we get it sold. never really happens yeah because uh, margaritas on the beach age, you're like i don't want to go out anymore because my fucking back no. hurts on my legs and i mean like how many margaritas can you drink on the beach before you're like yeah this is shit can i do something with a little meaning <laughs> um, every time you get on a plane as well you've got pins and needles in your feet to the point where you're in agony when you get up afterwards and, and it hurts all the way through the flight and you're uncomfortable then you don't want to go abroad and do those things anyway. So yeah. young people think that's awesome because they can sit super comfortably and they can, like I always say to Georgia in our office, like, does it not hurt when you sit like that? Because she always sits on a foot, don't she? Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, does that not hurt? Like sitting, like if I did that, I wouldn't be at walk when I got up. No. Um, but even if I did that when I was her age, I still wouldn't have been at a walk and get up after. It's like, yeah, it's, but as you get older, you get uncomfortable a lot easier. That's why I guess older people have nicer beds. <laughs> yeah true important very important um, very important point but yeah the other things about the dance is it's hard to dance alone it's it's hard to dance alone i think if you're in your own house and you're like safe and you can feel like you can dance i love dancing man i really love it i i if i go out to a if i go out to a club or something even if i'm not like smashed drunk i will absolutely throw down on the dance floor i love it so much fun you've got it's no self-consciousness about about doing things like that though have you you're like completely no it's happy, acting like... as well i don't really have that i think it's like you when you're when i feel like when i'm doing something like that, that i'm almost wearing a mask so like if, with... if if you was to learn to speak from stage would you have any any, any nervousness about you from doing it i mean to start with absolutely because it's something that i haven't necessarily done a lot of but if i ended up confident in my material um then I'd, yeah, I'd absolutely wing it. I think I'd, I'd go for it. I think that the thing with dancing is that like, I always enjoy it. And it's like, was you nervous the first time we did this podcast? So, yeah. 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 If you go back and watch the video, I, I'm bright red for the first like 25 minutes. Cause I'm super nervous. Was right you nervous now, the day before? I'm not nervous at all. Uh, a little bit the night before. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not super nervous, like in the lead up, but just in the, um, in the um, thing before. I remember oh the first God. time I did a webinar, an actual sales webinar, I was shitting myself. And before that, I'd done loads of training online and everything like this situation. And, mm -hmm. and when I did my first webinar, I was terrified. And I, and I think the first time I spoke from stage, I didn't give a shit, though. I wasn't. A, okay. I, was, I was terrified. But that's because I'd done hundreds and hundreds of webinars. But also, I remember speaking at my brother as, as my brother's best man. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember doing a speech. Um, and, and I remember being absolutely petrified. I think I needed to have a drink because I'd never really stood up and spoke in front of anybody ever. Yeah. Um, and I was terrified. And I did this little, this gimmick where I used to say, right now, now you're a married man. You have to, um, you have to stop all your one night stands. You have to stop having your flings. You have to get, and what I'd done before the, um, before the, um, what you call it before it before i did my speech i'd gone around and handed a load of blank keys to to, to like about 20 20 different people right um <clears throat> and then i just said when i when i tell you to come up to the front just just come and hand the key in right so then i okay. kind of i did this little speech and i said that, that, that like you've got you've got to stop your one night stand you've got to oh, stop these people coming around at midnight popping into your flat and that you're a married man that's got to stop so i was like look and, and i know there's a few years guilty of this in here right 
So I need you to come up now and just hand your key in, right? So every single person, <laughs> we're, we're all we're all lads in about the 20s, right? So I yeah. a load of lads to come and hand the key in, all in about the 20s. And about, about the fifth person to walk up was his wife's mother. He was giving this key to. But the second <clears> he got a laugh out of the audience from that, and when yeah. I said to, to, to his wife's mum afterwards about, about the joke, she, she, she'd completely missed the joke. She didn't get it. Um, oh, until after funny. when someone had explained it, he'd, he'd said this. But the people, everybody else in the audience got it and I laughed. But the second that laugh came, it was yeah. just all that, 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 that scaredness of standing up and talking. And that was a room full of people I knew. Um, and I was terrified. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching for the first time, I remember well, the first time I had to stand up in front of like 40 little Asian kids. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is kind of scary. Um, and obviously, I had like two other teachers watching me and like doing a sort of um, analysis on my teaching performance. And uh, yeah, it was like the minute that you get them all like laughing or doing something when you, you teach something and then you see the kids go, okay, I understand. And then they start working. You're like, okay, I can do this. This is fine. Like this is they're possible. People. Yeah. yeah just it's, people. it's all good. Who cares? Go yeah. on. This is just yours again, is it? <laughs> uh, people are your comrades. Yeah. This is a good point to move on. It's almost like I planned it. Uh, it tells us to think of people as comrades rather than enemies. And it's not us against them, it's us with them. Yeah, exactly. I think that, because a lot of this is all about your, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Because the past trauma thing is like, if your perspective on the trauma is that it is affecting you, it will affect you. It's like a placebo. Um, I think this is a really similar thing. If you think of people as being your friends rather than your enemies, um, you're probably going to have a lot more friendly interactions. Will you be taken advantage of more? Maybe. Mate, but, the title of this video has to be the two-hour counseling session, right? Yeah. <laughs> this, this, is, this is deep cool shit. Sorry, I'll let you carry on. I'll just shut up. I just I was thinking it then that this is like a counseling session because it tries to make people think. Yeah, um, I actually think the student-master kind of conversation element to this book makes it a bit more like a counseling session. I think if it marketed itself as being a counseling session, um, that would be quite yeah, interesting. It's a bigger book. It yeah, would have been I a bigger it, book. It would have done better. Maybe. It's like it's, if 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 you can't afford cool. counselling, read this book, and this will give you counselling. Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think that if you look at people as being like on the same journey as you, rather than being like out there trying to ruin your, you know, ruin your day somehow, or like oh, everyone's against me and they're always trying to, you know, I, th I think it's just better to view people as your friends, and you might get screwed over. But I think the net positive of like you know of all of the good interactions that you have is better than it is worth getting screwed over every now and again um that's just my opinion anyway but yeah i think it's I think it's good um i think this is one of yours living in the now it encourages you to focus on what's happening right now instead of worrying about things that happen in the past or what might happen in the future do you know what the one you did about treat life as a dance, not a not a race, is the same thing. Um, it's just the 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 one treat life as a dance, not a race, is just a million times better the way it's put together. This is just bullshit. It's the same thing, but it just doesn't. I feel I feel embarrassed by the comment now, by the note. So we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of yours. Uh, um, separation of tasks. Uh, yeah, uh, the book says that you should focus on your own jobs uh, and responsibilities instead of trying to control what others do. And um, 
I think that we were quite, we were enjoying the sort of stoic learning recently. I, I know that you've passed the stoicism books on to Cameron and he's learning about it too. And we really like that. And, and I, I, it really resonated with me. It helped me out of a bad spot. I think when I was um, uh, very self-conscious and thinking about stoicism really helped. And the, the part of stoicism that helped me out was this thing called the dichotomy of control. And I think that the separation of tasks and the dichotomy of control are the same thing, um, which is basically um, it, it teaches us to focus our energy on things that we can change and accept the things that we just can't change um, and that you'll be more peaceful doing that. So like um, our thoughts, beliefs and attitudes um, and actions, they're all things that we can change. These are our tasks. These are things that we have power over and the attitudes of others <clears throat> the past, the future, these are all things that are not our tasks, not things we can control and things that we should actively avoid uh, having any hand in because it's just going to make you anxious thinking about it. Um, Like I said before, like getting getting dumped by my ex and stuck in the flipping Czech Republic, I was freaking out. And then part of me was just like, well, there's none of that's in any of my control. I can't make this girl like me. I can't make her not cheat on me i can't make her stay with me um so why do i care what's the point in getting sad about it like this is let's look at it as an opportunity and move on it's good and it oh my god changed my whole outlook it was brilliant came at the perfect time this Um, basically means always ask yourself how can i not get involved in that (laughs) yeah it's like okay so we all have to do this but can i get these guys to do it instead (laughs) yeah okay I also think it's really important. I think it's like one of the issues where people fall out about other people doing their tasks for them. Like I always, I think the only thing that really makes me argue with any of my parents is when they do things for me without like asking me without like, you know, getting my input and it makes me feel, it makes me feel um, useless or inferior. What's that? Do you know how to stop people doing it? criticize them every time they do it so if you've got certain things in life you want other people to do then allow them to do it if you've got certain things in life where you don't want people to do it just criticize them every time you do it like so so that like they, they can't do it. it's it's as though they can't do it right and and, and right. eventually they'll be like i'm not fucking doing that again for him because he always moans that i do it wrong and then yeah. they'll they'll stop doing it and you've, you've only got to, you've only got to be disliked a couple of times by turning around and saying how are you you're not very good at making a bed you make it uncomfortable by doing that are you you're not very good at uh whatever and and they think you're a prick and yeah. the third time you say it they think i'm never fucking doing that for me again the ungrateful bastard <laughs> i mean i was just yeah i was just honest about my the the fact that i felt like when i had responsibilities taken away from me i just didn't feel like i was in control of my life and being a you know a certain age and being a guy is like the whole like element of like being you want to be like a independent person and you know if people take that away from you it can piss you off even like tiny little things and you wonder why other people are kind of pissing you off and it could be because of one of these things either you're trying to do one of their tasks and you're resenting them for it or um they're doing one of yours and you're getting mad yeah but i've heard people say that such and such did this today at work and that's my job i've heard people say and that's mm-hmm. my job it's like they really want to own it and i'm like yeah gives a shit man when, when yeah, i part when of I he's job, like why do you give a shit <laughs> well I, I worked at an insurance brokers so i ended up um, an account exec at an insurance broking firm in manchester um and 
I was constantly on a mission trying to find if I could get other people to do my tasks in the office. And if somebody took on one of my tasks, I would I would automatically be like, ah, don't worry about that. Such and such does it for me. And then and then and all of a sudden you, you move yourself into a management position over uh, and you can do it in, in life as well. If somebody does something for you, then try and coax them into doing it a couple more times and all of a sudden it becomes a habit. <laughs> yeah. They do it all the time for you and you don't have to think about it anymore. Which is which is I guess I guess that's that's how managers think. That's how people. Uh, uh, my, my, my sister's kid. My sister's got a little lad, and he's about five or six now. I have no idea how old he is. Lorna does the birthdays and all that stuff as well. Uh, but I do know that right. Ever since he was little, like two and three, he's he's, he's been super verbal. He like could talk. You could have full conversation with him when he was like three year old. Like like me and you speak. Like he's super mm-hmm. intelligent. Um, and he's he's a controller. He's he's not. He's he's everything he does. He tries to figure out ways naturally. He's naturally one of them people that tries to get other people to do things for him. Mm-hmm. He's not one of them. He always tries to get out of it. He always tries to to figure out how he can get you to do it for him. And he's really smart. Some of the little ways he does, it's like I'm very impressed with what he does. It's like he's definitely 100% going to be very, very, very successful when he's older because he's, his delegation strategy is already better than I've seen most 30 and 40-year-old managers have. And and he's 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 a little kid. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a difference between like delegating stuff and like taking on responsibility for other people's tasks, where like people tend to delegate delegate things that they don't feel like they get any sort of value from doing themselves. Yeah. Whereas like if the manager was delegating the schedule or the manager was delegating the, you know, like something that was a point of prestige in their role, then that would be a little different. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that there is an element of power and and stuff within that. Um, Something you get an internal enjoyment from doing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Even if that enjoyment is kind of just like asserting dominance over other people by being, having more responsibility. Um, which is not good. That's like vertical nah. relationships. Vertical relationships are really hard to avoid at work. To be fair, v- but verticals top to bottom again. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. it is tough, but not impossible. I think as long I mean, as you're respectful I, of each other, then I pass everything. To, to mainly, I pass everything to Georgia in our office, and she sorts everything out and then if, if i say to her have you done this this and this she's like you give me like 40 things to do how the fuck can i do that we <laughs> have a very you know in our office everybody's there's no real hierarchy in my opinion as much we all just chat and say what we think but i tend to pass as much as i possibly can. <laughs> yeah <laughs> on um but then i sit doing the things i enjoy like last night i was up to one or two in the morning playing around with with our site which i changed the plugins and the tools and it broke the site and it's like what are you doing so nice. that like, means i have more tasks <laughs> yes <laughs> but if someone came in and started like doing like loads of those things without telling me i'd probably be like the fuck so when i do them at night time does that piss you off the next day when you come in and i'm like i mean only when you break everything if you fix everything it's very different <laughs> if you fix all of my horrible mistakes and i'm like ah nice but yeah but yeah. it's my horrible mistakes isn't it Uh, it's uh, yeah is what it is courage it talks about how important it is to be true to yourself even if others might criticize or not like you for it 
Um, yeah. I always say my mother was one of the best um, people with this type of courage. My mum didn't give a shit who the person was. If they pissed her off, she she was she'd just say it as it was. And I think that was that was more common in 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 years gone by than nowadays. I think people tend to, especially they, they'll say it on social media, mm. but in in the real world, most people don't actually say what pisses them off. Instead, they go home and bitch yeah. and moan about it. Or it's the other way around, where they'll like bitch and moan about something, and then on social media, they'll all be like sunshine and rainbows and support. And yeah, I know a guy like that who, who, who there's who, like two. They're either one or the other, aren't they? They're like they're like bitching, moaning in real life, and then really sunshine yeah. and rainbows on social media, or they're like constantly I, pissed off. I on know social a media. guy who's always he, he he used to be in the army, and he's always putting a weekly call out guys on on the internet to people saying uh, if anyone needs any help or support or anyone needs anything, I'm here for you and all this shit. And he, and 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 he's not there at all for his family. He's an absolute prick for his family, but he's he's there for the, the outsiders, not because he wants to help them, because he wants to be seen to be that mm-hmm. that individual person. And I recognised it about him not long after I first met him, and I thought, "You're so fake. Yeah, um, you're such a fake fucking person." Uh, but he still does it even now, every week. All right, guys. Hope everyone's well. I really, if anyone needs any help or support, to to all these army buddies, but he treats his fucking wife and kids like shit. Yeah, stuff uh, in it. It's really weird. Uh, I know people like that too. Just, hmm. I also know people that have extremely strong political opinions online, and then when you talk to them in real life, they like actually don't necessarily believe those things at all. Like, political you, you opinion. Can... What's do you have a political opinion? Well, I mean, I think everyone has a political opinion to a point. I hate fucking sort... taxed. That's it. I right? Yeah. So that's taxed. like a political well, opinion. But would I, if I, if I could, if I could not pay any tax and go to like a third world country, would I? No, because I feel mm. like having my bins emptied every week and and having yeah. decent clean water that I can drink coming out of the taps and having electric a constant flow of electric supplied to my house and all the rest of that shit will far outweighs paying tax. I hate paying yeah. tax. But would like, I stop paying tax if I could? Probably not, because if I didn't pay tax, I wouldn't have all that cool shit around me. Yeah. Um, do you know what and I mean? You said it before about healthcare. It's like, fair enough that, you know, people should maybe put more financial, like, maybe if you've got a nice car and you're really sick, sell your car and get the operation that you need quicker to extend your life. Okay, I can see that argument, but also, like, you know, it's like what thirty or something like. I think it's between like ten and thirty grand to have a baby in America. But... When we moved to Spain, right, <laughs> my missus was was tantrum. She was like, "This is a piss take," and I was like, "She had to, you had to pay something like three hundred euros a month for your healthcare." Yeah. yeah. And my missus was like, "This is a piss take." That is like it proper pissed her off, right? But, but, but in the UK you don't see it like that as as you pay in your healthcare, but. Her national insurance is probably three or four times that every single yeah. month, right? So we come back to the UK, but because she physically doesn't have to pay it out as a standing order from a bank, it's taken out before I pay a salary, she doesn't look at it and think to myself, I hate spending whatever her national insurance is. I don't know how much it is. It might be a grant, it might be two, it'd be eight, but whatever it is every single month that comes out of her bank for national insurance, which is the same thing yeah, <laughs> as your healthcare over there, but because it was physically taken later, 
the UK mentality. People in the UK don't like paying out for things. Um, and if it's taken first out of the money, people don't see it go. Uh, yeah. the, 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 whereas in the States, I, I believe that the healthcare system is super, super, super expensive. And I think that's why the Americans make better clients. The Americans make better clients because they're that used to every single place that they go, people having their hand out for, for summer, even for tips. It's yeah. like everywhere you go in the States, it's like 10, 15. I said it to a guy in London, actually. We all went out for a pizza a few weeks back. There's about eight or 10 of us. Um, and yeah. as I, I went up and I paid the bill. Um, and as I'm paying the bill, the, this guy goes, oh, there's, a, there's the option to put a tip in, in there. And it, and it said like 5%, 10% or 15%. And I, and I looked at it yeah. and I said, why, why, have you, why have you chose those numbers? And he went, he went, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm going to click that one there. And I click the 15% and I click sub it and pay the pay. And, he, and I went, why have you picked those numbers so, so low? And, 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 and he basically said, because obviously I didn't want to be super cheeky. I said, mate, you should change that to 5, 15, and 25 or even 50%, right? <laughs> and I guarantee the people who enjoy the service like we've enjoyed tonight will give you a 50% tip. And but you're not giving them the option by setting the limit the way you've done it. In, in, I would have potentially got rid of the 5% tip because most of the stingy ones that give you the 5% tip, you need to sell to 20 or 30 people to make that number. Whereas if you've had 50, 10, 25 and 50% tip, most people will be then, oh, I've got to give them a tip because it's there. So they will. And the people like me that would have gone in, it's like, I don't mind spending three or 400 quid on a meal for a lot of the guys in London. And, and, and if the guy's asking for a tip, I'd, I'd have put, I mean, the company pays for it. And the guy was brilliant at what he did, like brilliant. Like literally, he was on his own. He was in this place. Eight, I think it was eight or oh, 10 of us went in mm-hmm. and he was doing the pizzas and every single person, except me because I had a tuna salad because I'm always on a diet, uh, every single person got, he had one oven and every and there was homemade pizzas. Every single person got a hot pizza on the plate within two minutes of each other. Yeah. Just very he smacked it out. He did, he did super skilled, super good. He was a laugh. He, he was calling me, um, you're the tuna salad guy in in, in an Italian <laughs> accent. And he was laughing at me because I was like, no, what tuna salad? And he's like, I'll make you a pizza. A pizza. I was like, mate, no, I want a tuna salad. And then as he's coming up, he's like, here's your tuna salad, tuna salad guy. <laughs> I'm taking the piss out of me. That's um, funny. And then when I went to pay the bill, he's like, I, I, I wouldn't have took the piss if I'd have known you was paying the bill. <laughs> I was like, was you're awesome. You'd have got a bigger tip if the option was there, though. And I yeah. actually brought it up with him saying, look, people will give you more if you, if you ask for it. Because all yeah. them 5%, probably his whole day's worth of tips on them 5% would have made less than I, if he just said to right. if I had the 50% option there, I'd have probably just click that and give it him. Yeah. Well, you're either tipping or you're not, you know? And yes. I think that if the bottom, the bottom one is 10 or the bottom one is 15, you're either tipping or you're not like, yep. you know, b- people Definitely. don't think about it. Like, Oh, they're taking this amount. Cause it's 15 it says 10 or 15%. People aren't, if most people don't naturally just go, Oh, that equate that into actual figures. They'll just be like, okay, that's fine. That's part of and this. Like most people that went in there probably just would have been two people. So the bill would have probably been 50 quid. So if they're yeah. tipping you a five, are you really that bothered? Whereas if, if it's a 50 quid bill and, they, and they're going to tip you 20 quid uh, or 25, it makes a big difference. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, I think anyway, I said it to him. I don't think he'll change it because, but he was a cool dude. I wish I remember the name of the place because I'd give him a shout out and think give him a shout out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was a laugh. Right. Um, Lifestyle. Uh, the book says you can change how you live and how you behave whenever you want. And this is what they call your lifestyle. Um, yeah, I think that this is a really important thing to, I think it's a good way of combating the trauma element that he brings up at the start. Um, y- you can change 
how you live and your outlook on things whenever you like. It's literally all down to you, which is great. I think it's cool to have that power. Um, and um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I what I was thinking about that. We, we did this one at the beginning. Little, yeah, we, we spoke about it a little bit earlier, didn't we? So. Um, the first note was freedom. The book says yeah. you can change how you act uh, or think at any time. I think that was the same point. Uh, yeah. Self-acceptance. It encourages you to accept and believe in yourself and to know that you can change and grow. Yeah. I think it's that last part is really important to know that you can change. Because um, I think there's a difference, like I said before, about being like, you know, oh, I accept myself. I love myself as who I am. But like, you're a total bastard and like, nobody likes you and you cause like lots of harm and stuff to other people. And you're like, well, I just, I accept myself. Like, there's a difference, isn't there? I think. I think Naval Ravikant said this best in in, in, in his book, um, yeah. The Almanac, because he basically explains that yeah, a lot of people look at other people and they're jealous. So you see a guy at the gym and he's got a six pack and a perfect chest and you're thinking, fuck man, I'm fucking, yeah. I'm a bit flabby and I can't, um, yes, I've like, got tits. Yeah. But would you actually swap <laughs> places with that person completely? And then yeah. when you walk back outside and you're driving a fucking 70 grand car and he's driving a little old piece of shit and then he goes home to his one bedroom flat and he's got no one there and you've got a great loving family and everything at home. All of mm -hmm. a sudden that six pack and that fucking ripped pecs they call that uh, and your pecs don't really do much for you when you've got a great no. family of loving people around you who actually give a flying fuck so i think when, when naval said that that kind of hit home to me a lot because you get some guys that look at people who are receding he's, he's one of the biggest things with men men hate to lose their hair um you're definitely not going to lose yours um nope. and uh people hate to lose their hair and and they're con conscious of it because it's something you can't hide yeah. Like people feel like a baggy t-shirt can hide a, hide a fat belly or I don't think you can hide a fat ass really, can you? Uh, but basically if, if you, but, but guys going bald really are super jealous of people that have got a good hair, a good hairline, but would they swap places with that person altogether and have a different wife and a different mother and a different family and different um, yeah. situations? And have they got um, like the people who are actually, love and care and support them in their family i i was lucky growing up because we we had we had a very poor upbringing and, and we had a, a lot of um people felt sorry for us a lot because we had nothing like zero but i always had a, a parent i mean dad was never there but we always i always had a single parent my mother who was there no matter what if i'd have gone out and killed somebody she'd have supported me and if i'd have gone out and fucking set fire to something and people that died she'd have supported me she'd have been there for me no matter what happened in life she wouldn't have mm. disowned me or anything she was there 100 she's like you're my kids i'm your mother and she's always there and that was one of the things that 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 um support that like like emotional support that i see a lot of people that don't have these days because more parents are more interested in their careers and their cars and their houses and their bank balances and things like that where children are emotionally Drained because, and, and and people would have looked at me growing up and been like, "Wow, you poor bastard! You've got that. You don't have a carpet in your house. You've not got curtains. You blah blah, blah all the stuff like that." Because uh, some of our houses look like empty houses, but I had that emotional support that most of my friends never had because mm -hmm. their parents was following the rules of society and being politically apparent that they grew up as an individual, not as part of a team. Mm -hmm. as part of a little gang we're growing up because we were always like a little gang 
Um, so I feel like that self-acceptance is, 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 is a lot more difficult for people who have never had that type of emotional support growing up. Yeah. <clears throat> but even uh, it's difficult to get, but like we were just talking about, it's not something that necessarily you have to live with forever of just being like, Oh, well, you know, I never had it growing up. So I, that's why I'm the way I am. So, well, yeah, it's the way you're the way you are now, but tomorrow you don't have to be that person anymore. If you don't want to be like, you, yeah. it's not going to happen overnight. Like we looked at atomic habits pretty early when we started doing this and, and it, it tells you that these things happen on an atomic scale. It's small, but you can make like massive changes in, in the way that you do things. Um, which is, yeah, that's so true in it. Stop being a fucking pussy and blaming your past for your future and just fucking deal with it. Yeah. It's like, well, Freud's whole point is like, uh, all of this stuff happens because of unresolved trauma. And it's like, well, that's exactly what it, like the fact that the trauma is unresolved, but the only person that can resolve the trauma is you. You just because, stop thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong, that's, that's really hard for certain people. And it's not just the it's also the way that trauma like when it's like ripples in a pond right if let's say someone dies someone loses a parent when they're a child oh shit um, yeah man if you lost a kid then i don't think i could ever get past that but the, the but like the ripples would extend any so even if you get over the fact that they're not over but the fact that they're not there anymore for example like the ripples continue like that say you've lost a ch you're a child and you've lost a parent the financial implications of that like okay now i have to grow up in a single parent household when my mom's working all the time so i don't have that nurturing parent there all the time i have to be a bit more of a latchkey kid and uh financially we're not as stable as we were before so now i have to grow up in a different neighborhood with different people around me and going to a different school like it's not just that you know the trauma is the trauma is like the situation that happens, but the reverberations of that trauma can touch many, many things. And that's why it's hard. That's like the main argument I'd have that in favor of Freud being like, you know, unresolved trauma is like the root of lots of people, but it, it is like, it, and that is why it's so hard to resolve because yes, you could resolve, you know, I miss my parent, my parents never coming back. I've come to terms with that. I'm okay with it, but you haven't resolved the crippling debt that your family's in or the, you know, other issues that have arisen from that instance happening that, you know, it's not just as simple as, well, well you know, they're dead and gone, so I'm over it now. It's like, well, some sometimes it's harder to get over than it isn't. Do you know what I mean? No, I totally agree with you, yeah. I, I, yeah. I do, I get it. And, and, and when you said about if you lost a parent or a child, it's like, yeah, you can accept it or losing a parent. It's not really, and I know it sounds cold to say, it's not really such a big deal but when you get older if you lose your parents because it's expected. But losing a kid is kind of something I don't think that, that that you can get. I mean, I guess you have to if you've got other children, you've got no choice. But it would right. always be there. There'd always be that pain that I don't think you could ever shut off. It'd be like no. hurting all the time. Every time you, you drifted and thought about it, that hollowness would be there. They're not here anymore. Because when someone's dead, it's like it's proper weird. They're like they're there and they're in your life and the things they say and do matter and all that. And then when they're gone, it's like, they just don't exist anymore once their stuff that they've left behind is kind of moved away and you don't see it anymore it's like they never existed yeah yeah sad and it's sad ending sad ending we had a sad start and we had a sad ending this is uh been a i always write these final thoughts but i was such a busy morning that the final thought uh, might be spelt wrong so i will check <laughs> uh, final thought if you <clears throat> often find yourself concerned about other 
people's thoughts, or if you act differently due to fear of their opinions, then this book is definitely for you. Absolutely agree. 100% agree. And I think it's a great, it can really give you uh, confidence. Um, and, and uh, you know, it says the courage to be just like, courage is, we've spoken about, is a really important part of this book. It's scary thinking that someone's like not, you know, other people's opinions, like they can be scary, but they are, they are literally other people's businesses. Like, what can you do about it? Can't change the opinion. If that other person got hit by a bus tomorrow and they didn't like you, it wouldn't matter. So why does it matter? Because they're alive. doesn't matter. True. Well, well, it just doesn't matter. Fuck them. Fuck Fuck them all. Yeah. Fuck them all. (laughs) Me and and one of my buddies had this uh, thing where we'd, uh, we'd often like talk about things in the world that pissed us off and, wasn't not necessarily a positive thing, but it's quite cathartic sometimes to let a bit of that stress out. And we were always talking about it and we'd have a saying where we'd just be like, fuck these people, man. <laughs> and like FTP became like a, if something really bad happened to him and he'd message me like, oh man, this happened. And I lost out on this and this guy's being an asshole to me. Like FTP is all I need to say back. Like, fuck these people. <laughs> doesn't matter. Just fuck them. Um, but, and, but it doesn't mean that they're, you know, like your enemy by, no. They're Why, just an like, ant or a, or a dog or a cat. They're the same. It doesn't matter. Yeah, if if you it? shout at a dog and you, it runs across the road thinking wanker in its own little bark language, you don't give a shit. So why do you give a shit if people don't think the same? If you yeah. think of it like that, we're all just animals and you won't give a fuck, will you? Yeah, that's true. It's very true. Right. Next week, what Love do we have? It. Next, week, well, next week, uh, I was pretty sure that we were going to look at the one thing, right? I don't care. That'll make it a super easy week for me because I read it twice the other week when we did the... Yeah. Uh, uh, so you're going to do that one? We're not going to do Blue Ocean? Uh, I thought we were going to do this one first because okay. cool. uh, it's, it's just it's fresher in your head. Um, yeah, I'll reread yeah. it because it's such a good book. My, last week, Mike read the one thing instead of zero to one. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's why we're going to do it this time. But he also said that there was some really interesting stuff in that um it's brilliant it's all about focus it's i'm not even going to tell you yet because that's for next week's no. show but i'm telling you this is a a great book uh yeah from somebody who has achieved a lot who's been very successful and anybody running a business running a family running pretty much anything where you want to get to the to the let's talk about it next week but it's fucking all right good. really good brilliant catch you later awesome. guys we'll see you next week thank you very take much. it easy bye bye